This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday to you. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Get buckled in, folks. It's Friday. We're going to get a good launch for you and uh, hopefully get you ready for a great weekend. Lunch? Lunch. That's what I heard, too. Did you hear lunch? Yeah. Yeah, I think (laughs) it wouldn't matter what I said. I think you'd hear lunch. Well, I think we're looking forward to that pancake breakfast. Yeah, we're having a pancake breakfast here at BYU Broadcasting, so come on over. (laughs) Bring your kids. That's what the email said. Everyone's invited. Everyone's invited. Do you like chocolate milk? Well, students, too. Students are invited. This is incredible. We're going to feed the students, which is interesting at BYU because, I mean, food is probably a higher, stronger uh, motivator than almost anything else we could do for our students. Right. And we can give them experience, opportunities. We could write a great, you know, um, letter of recommendation. Right. But. It's the abject poverty they live in mm -hmm. with no food. They just want something simple like, I don't know, a waffle. Sustenance of some kind, yes. Such a good life. Uh, so, of course, um, Jeff now will be thinking about breakfast all morning. Mm. And a way to sneak out yeah, because it's happening during the show. Yeah, yeah. And then the fact you can't bring it back to the studio because everybody melts down if you bring food in this room. I know. You can't have any food in this room or liquids. So weird. But we oblige. We don't. We don't want to create any problems. We don't want any issues here. Um, by the way, happy look up at the sky day. Today's the day. Don't do it while you're driving. No. So if you're out there in driver land, just keep driving. The Earth is flat. Is that Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> yeah, Shaquille O'Neal. The Earth is flat. Look up at the sky day. This is um, the creators of this holiday remain anonymous. But their goal is very clear, to encourage people to take a little time to slow down and appreciate the little things in life. Ooh, sounds like uh, we're going to talk to Pluto today. That we're not alone. We're not alone. Yeah. There's now two moons, apparently, where the two where they believe life forms uh, could live. Uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, the the blue, uh, blue moon blue moon, and moons over moon Miami. River. Moon River. Oh. Yeah, moons over Miami didn't make it. It should have, though. Yeah, it's a great, great meal. Um, Back to breakfast again. See how you did that? Always back to breakfast. Um, So today, look up at the sky. This is the day. You just get to see how lucky you are to be on such a beautiful, wonderful, incredible planet. It's also Friday, so you can do this all weekend, quite honestly. Today, we are also going to be talking uh, talking about WikiLeaks. It's, it's a really interesting thing because at first Donald Trump, President Trump, didn't like WikiLeaks and um, nor d- actually loved WikiLeaks because it was helping him in his campaign. And then Mike Pompeo, um, who's the uh, Central Intelligence Agency director, he also didn't like it or actually, sorry, used to love it with Mr. Trump. But now they're all coming out against it. Mr. Mike Pompeo made, a, made an announcement uh, basically that the WikiLeaks – Attacks uh, were considered hostile intelligence, and it's a service that is working against the United States. And so we will be today talking about WikiLeaks and a release that they had, um, which was – which basically 
exposed the CIA for some of the tricks the CIA was using to spy on people everywhere, but even people here in the United States, I guess, using even televisions, your television set. So we're going to be talking to somebody about this who wrote an article um, on theconversation.com with the WikiLeaks CIA release, When Will We Learn? When Will We Learn? Okay, so we're going to we're going to get a, a deeper look into that. Plus, of course, just uh, more fun, empty news, we call it from Matt Townsend News. And um, we got a lot of good stuff going on. Also, by the way, in hour number three, we're going to we're going to be starting a new. On Fridays, we're going to we're going to talk movies and media and entertainment a lot more. And Jeff's going to help us with that, right, Jeff? I don't know if I was supposed that, to tell everybody. That was that was today. Well, no, we're not. It's not officially starting today. Oh, we're we're going to let everybody get a little bit of a taste of it. Okay, today, just a little bit of a taste of Jeff. Well, let me get something put together. He's. I think he's calling it the marvelous, wonderful, incredibly glorious power of movies. I think we need to shorten that. Now that when when you said it, it sounded long. It seems really long. As a title. When I said it, it sounded great. Yeah. But, you know. But you were also dancing when you said it. So maybe that helps. Well, it was my Irish jig. <laughs> it always helps. Nobody, you can't get through a day without a good jig. So that'll be an hour number three of the program. But I'm telling you now, because if, if you really need to know about life and movies and media and the marvelous, glorious, wonderful, beautiful things about the movies, you're going to want to tune into Jeff. Tune in to Jeff. Good stuff. Words he, of wisdom. He didn't know I was going to already start talking about that, but I just let it out. Shh. Cat's out of the bag. Um, all that fun ahead. But first, uh, let's get to the headlines. What's going on around the rest of the country with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? The United States used its largest non-nuclear weapon in Afghanistan on Thursday, marking the first time the bomb had ever been used in combat, nicknamed the Mother of All Bombs, or MOAB. The GBU-43-B, that's its official, I guess, designation if you're looking for some sort of spreadsheet somewhere, described as a massive ordnance air blast weapon. So the bomb drops, there's an explosion, there's a part of it, you know, there's a the, the, there's the uh, epicenter, I, I guess, but then outside of that, everyone else gets the air just sucked out of the whole area of everything, Ooh, right? Yeah. And so it collapses structures, it takes out. The idea is... Uh, yeah, Afghanistan, there was a series of tunnels, a network of tunnels, and they collapsed all the tunnels. Yeah. And they took out 36 militants. I don't know if they went counted, but there's 36 I wonder militants. If, I wonder if the mothers of the world like to have a name, a bomb named after them. I don't know. So the bomb weighs 21,000 pounds, 30 feet long, blast yield equivalent to 11 tons of TNT, which, uh, you know, do you have any... Well, I, I only experience I, yeah, with TNT. one ton of TNT is a lot. I have one channel of TNT. They show a lot of basketball. It's a great show. They, it's, I think that's the Shawshank Redemption channel. Yes, they show yeah. that like repeat at some <laughs> points. Uh, reports have so thirty six. The reports have that it was successful because I mean, are they going to go in and report a failure? According to uh, other reports, Russia has a bomb being referred to as the father of all bombs. Oh boy, it has forty four tons ah. of explosives on board. Four times more powerful than the Moab. Well, is that not a nuclear weapon? No. Wow. There's no fission reaction happening. So wow. it doesn't count. Okay, good. I love all this stuff. David Dow, the 69-year-old physician who was violently dragged from United Airlines flight over the weekend, suffered a concussion, broken nose, and lost teeth. 
His attorney said on Thursday in a press conference earlier in the morning, Dow's attorney officially asked the Illinois State Court to order that all relevant surveillance footage, cockpit voice recordings, and other materials be preserved in order to avoid serious prejudice against Dow in any legal proceedings. They're going to court. Oh boy, lawyer up. A couple other stories here. A tank collector in the United Kingdom was in for a surprise when he and his mechanic opened one of his tank's diesel fuel tanks. Inside were gold bars totaling approximately $2.4 million. (laughs) The tank came into possession of Nick Mead, a tank collector and owner of Tanks A Lot. (laughs) That's a great name. Sir Tanks A Lot. A company that offers tanks and other armored vehicles for driving classes, private events, and television and film appearances. Mead found the tank in an ex-Iraqi Army Type 69 tank. Yeah, you knew it. He found it on sale on eBay and traded it for uh, another tank that he had. And uh, so they feel like this gold might be part of uh, Kuwaiti in origin. Iraqi forces engaged in widespread looting. When they went in there in the nine, or, yeah, but somebody's uh, missing two and a half million dollars worth of gold. Yeah, somebody stashed it in there. It's all right. It's been since nineteen ninety or ninety five, so it's fine. Wow. Thank, thank you for that story. Thanks a lot. Also, Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes. Oh, they're doing that <laughs> again. It's like every year. It seems like. Yeah. So that comes, but once a year, and for one devoted hockey fan, even a serious wound wasn't enough to take him away from the action. According to the Guardian, a 43-year-old Pittsburgh man was found Wednesday night by police in the in an, his auto body shop that he reportedly owns after an altercation with a 25-year-old male. The body shop owner was bleeding from his scalp, apparently from being stabbed by the 25-year-old with a screwdriver. Ouch. The wound seemed to require immediate medical attention, according to paramedics on the scene. But one problem, the Pittsburgh Penguins' first-round playoff game was still in progress. Oh. The man refused to be treated until the game was over. <laughs> Uh, he drove himself to the hospital after the game was over. Fortunately for the passionate fan, the Penguins rewarded him for waiting. They won the game 3-1 to one to take a 1-0 series lead. Yes! No word on if it was a Phillips or a Flathead yeah, or any got, sort of yeah. specialty screwdriver. So. If you could make sure you look into that and get back to us, because right. it'd be good to know what screwdriver they're using. I Well, if it wasn't a Flathead, it'll be a Flathead now. <laughs> Are you calling me a Flathead? That's kind of um, – I'm not into hockey enough I to was, know if this is a good series. I don't know. The only time I ever was – it came – was was it 95? There was a, an NBA strike. Oh. And so I was like, all right, I'll watch this because the other one – you know, those guys are money grubbers. You know, they're <laughs> – and, and then it was just kind of slow and boring basketball. So I started watching some hockey and that was interesting. There was some overtimes. It was kind of, but yeah. Since then, it's like ah, oh, they just fight on purpose. Just go watch the Mighty Ducks trilogy, and then you'll be sold. Really? Yeah. But then you'll be disappointed when you realize that people don't really do like the knuckle puck shot. Mm. Um, I tried. I went. I love those movies so much that I went out and I bought hockey gear and I tried to do the knuckle puck and it didn't work and I was so disappointed. How, how old were you when you did that? Oh, probably 12, maybe yeah. 12, 10. So you watched a movie when you're 12 mm-hmm. that you still equate to your love of hockey today. Now oh, yeah. You, when you're 48. You're so confused why no one uses the flying V. Okay, yeah. but listen, I'm from Anaheim, California. Well, that's true. That was your home. Which is where the Mighty Ducks, that's which right. are now just the Ducks, no, play. No longer Mighty. It's no longer the Arrowhead Pond of Anaheim either. It's, I think, the Honda Center? Yeah. Good lawnmowers. Great lawnmowers. I've got a Honda lawnmower. I do too. 
poured got gasoline a, in I've the got motor. cars too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to buy a race car. On fire. <laughs> um, well, okay. So what you're saying is if I want to get into hockey, I really need to go see Mighty Ducks. Just stick with parts one and two. You could skip three. Okay. That's good. That's really good. Hey, um, I'm, going on, I'm going on a little car journey today. Mm. I will be driving my car for about three hours. Wow. Can you make sure to, to look out all your windows and, and mirrors when you're backing out of the parking lot today? Yeah, I can. Okay. Thank you. Was that a problem? Apparently, he had to bring it up. It was a problem once. Mm. Just forgot to look and hit a car. Really? Not a big deal. No well, one, he, no you put the car injured. in autopilot first yeah. thing. Well, yeah. You need to wait till you're out on the freeway at least before you put it and in And I auto. don't even have an autopilot. So the car that you had the altercation with, mm-hmm. did you leave a note or did you just sort oh, of no, look we, well, and Well, we were actually both in the car. Oh, okay. That's good. He was, was it, driving by. Was it Jeff? No. Oh. But I almost hit your car today. You are lucky that uh, it wasn't me. If you have a dent on your passenger side door, um, mm. that'd be weird. <laughs> if it was me, I'd have taken you to court and I would have lost. <laughs> yeah, you would have. You don't have good luck with courts. Um, here's the deal. Mm. Apparently today uh, there's a brand new, the longest um, airline trip. Uh, the world's longest route has now been opened. Opened. Nice. Seventeen hours and thirty minutes, one way, <sighs> on an airplane. And you know they'll charge you for all the meals. There's no like complimentary no, right, like you know right. peanuts or anything. It's just and they'll just keep coming around. Like when you're trying to sleep, they just keep coming around, and then you have this obligation to eat. And they'll only give you because it's half, free half the can of soda. Yeah. You can. Are you? Is this going to be seventeen and a half hours of you half canning me? Well, they don't want you getting up so many times to have to go to the bathroom. Can you bring a meatball so sub true. on board? Probably. Nice. This uh, airline, it's Qatar Airways, and it goes from Doha, Qatar, to Auckland, New Zealand, fourteen thousand five hundred thirty-nine kilometers. It is Sign one me up. long trip. And if you remember, last week I was on a trip between two large gentlemen, mm. and they dislocated my shoulders. Right. Because I had... Well, it was the most convenient way to wedge you in. Yeah, I was wedged. I felt like a salad. <laughs> salad a nice, wedge? A nice lettuce wedge with some blue cheese. Mm. And shrimp. No shrimp. Shrimp makes you sick. Um, so what's the longest flight you've ever been on? I flew to California. No, wow. I flew to Washington, D.C., so there you go. Exhausting. Yeah, How about exhausting. you, Jeffrey? I flew from New York to Russia. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's long. We flew from Boston to London. And when my son landed, it was like it was a, it was a red eye. And when my son when we landed, my son yelled at the top of his lungs, when are we getting off of this thing? <laughs> and everybody cheered. Yay. We hate this airplane, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't imagine 17 and a half hours. I mean, I can. Yeah. But I actually but, think it's against the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Pretty aggressive. You'd have to upgrade to the executive, yeah. You'd exclusive have business first class that has like hammocks, right? And just trade in a couple kids. Yeah, it's a. Fun, I mean, you can get them back. Yeah, but would you want them back after uh, that? It gives you an opportunity to think about it, kind of reassess your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, hmm, kids, this is nice. You guys, <sighs> good life. So when I'm driving today, I'll be thinking about you. Three hours, huh? Three hours. Mm. 
to do is a little speech, a little speechy speech. Do you have Do you have some wonderful entertainment to keep you yes. distracted oh, as yeah. you drive? Uh-huh. Okay, good. But I've I've listened to a lot. Of, I've, I've pretty much listened to all my podcasts, mm. and I don't know that I want to start anymore. You know what I mean? You can listen to some of my audio books. Yeah, you know what? But the goal um, is to stay awake, think, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are great audio books too, by the way. And go Your figure. Voice. They're about sleep. Yeah, they are. He goes into the yeah. the, the key elements of sleep. Yeah. There are some there are some chimes and a lot of mantras um, like "Let it sink in." Yeah, feel yourself slowly drifting into the cloud. Thanks, Jeff. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're talking WikiLeaks. When are we going to learn? We've already lost Jeff. Stick with us, folks. It's Friday. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Welcome back to uh, the Matt Townsend Show. You know, WikiLeaks, uh, are they friend or are they a foe? I I guess it depends who you talk to and when you talk to them. Um, Our next guest is Dr. Richard Forno. He's a senior lecturer in the University of Maryland, uh, Baltimore County Department of Computer Science and Electrical Engineering, where he directs the Graduate Cybersecurity Program. He's been on the show before, and today he's going to be talking to us about uh, the WikiLeaks CIA release and... um, which I think was called Vault Seven, and he's, he's we're gonna we're gonna pick his brain to figure out what's the government doing, and and really are they friend or for do, foe, Doctor Forno? Thank you so much for being with us today. Good to see you again. Good to talk to you. This is a great uh, timing, I think, uh, to have you on the show today because just yesterday, CIA Director Mike Pompeo blistered WikiLeaks, and, and he made this comment about w- where, where they really sit with us. It's time to call out WikiLeaks for what it really is, a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by state actors like Russia. A non-state hostile intelligence uh, service. And so, Dr. Forno, you, you're writing and have been writing about um, WikiLeaks as well. And with this new Vault 7 release of information and CIA documents, WikiLeaks is really creating chaos, it seems like, for the government. Well, they're one of several groups, I think, that certainly would cause chaos for the government. But I liked how you framed this interview by saying um, your views on WikiLeaks depends on who you talk to and when. I was amused to see the CIA director suddenly come out and condemn WikiLeaks yesterday right. when, during the presidential campaign last year, he, um, he was uh, reposting and retweeting links to their documentation, the disclosures of Hillary's email. Um, the president similarly loved WikiLeaks. Uh, he said so publicly. And uh, now he's on the receiving end of WikiLeaks. So WikiLeaks does have the um, desire and proven ability to uh, capture the media spotlight and uh, cause problems for government officials. And I guess now they're finally getting it, uh, the, the dangerous side of WikiLeaks. But talk to us about Vault 7, this, this more recent release. What, what is Vault 7? What did they actually get a hold of? How did they get a hold of it? And, and how is it going to impact uh, the country? Right. Well, Vault 7 is uh, just one in a series of um, disclosures that WikiLeaks has and continues to make regarding U.S. cyber 
security and cyber warfare capabilities. This particular uh, release came out about a month ago and uh, came from the CIA. There, um, everyone thinks the NSA is the only U.S. group that does hacking. And this sort of told the public that, well, gee, there are other groups like the CIA that does this stuff too. <laughs> and um, looking at the material when it came out, nothing really jumped out at me as groundbreaking or awe-inspiring uh, from a security perspective. But it just shows another example of the U.S. government failing to keep secret its secrets. Yeah. Did it did it not get into more detail about how it was using televisions and – uh, the Internet of Everything is now accessible to the CIA in one way or another, or to, to anybody that I guess is listening in. Well, just as the Snowden disclosures a few years ago showed that the uh, electronic world that we all live and talk in these days is vulnerable to surveillance in all sorts of ways, I think this sort of uh, – the CIA disclosure last month sort of does the same thing for – technology beyond the internet, things like the smart TV. Uh, I mean, security experts have always said that anything that's on the internet and networked can be hacked. And if there's a microphone or a camera on it, whether it's a smartphone or a television or your computer, it can be used as a surveillance device. So what this did was bring um, that knowledge, if you will, into the mainstream. So more people are aware that you know innocuous things like a television or a refrigerator could be used as a surveillance device. Mm. So uh, let's say somebody, I guess, then hacked in to CIA files and then, I guess, put them up on WikiLeaks. Is that how this works? It, but it could be it could be Russian spies. It could be Chinese spies. It, it could be just a hacker, right? And then they give them to WikiLeaks for what purpose? Is this – I mean, Snowden's point wasn't his point, you know, as as a whistleblower – but these seem to be a little more dangerous. Yes, I mean, and I wouldn't jump to conclusions that this was a hacker that hacked into the CIA from someplace and uh, stole these files. For all we know, it may well have been a contractor or a CIA employee or employees that were doing this. Um, but the material did find its way to WikiLeaks, and given the political climate in the United States and Europe about things like you know fake news and alternative facts and quote-unquote false flag attacks, as we've heard with uh, Syria this, this past week, these allegations, some of the findings in this vault show that you, how you can use computers to create the appearance of a, another person attacking you versus the actual attacker, which can be politically interpreted to mean, well, maybe Russia wasn't to blame for election interference last year. Right, right, okay. Is, I, I guess, how worried do we need to be? I think there are two areas of concern here. The, the, the larger concern is that the, um, the U.S. government continues to show its inability to keep things secret. Uh, this is the at least the third or fourth high-profile data breach of a U.S. government system, whether it's NSA, CIA, OPM, things like that. Um, the government has problems securing its information. And the second takeaway, I think, is that the public is realizing more and more of these disclosures that really, you know, all these devices that make our lives so easy and fun and convenient can also be used against us by both good guys and bad guys. Mm. And it's crazy because now and more and more we have like uh, we have Siri, we have Amazon Eco, we have all of these other tools in our home and they're so Wi-Fi enabled 
that we have listening devices constantly around us. Um, what advice do you give us about that? Are we is there a day that we just shouldn't have any of these if we want to really remain protected or what do we do? I'm a security person and I'm very interested in the Amazon Alexa and the Google Home and these sort of devices. I don't own them at home. Um, I can't bring myself to have an always on, always listening microphone in my living room or in my bedroom. <laughs> Um, having, knowing the cell phone and the computers are there is bad enough, but why raise my vulnerability, if you will? Um, but it's not just you know these these devices. It's you know cars. I mean, in this trove, this trove, the CIO is exploring ways of um, taking remote control of cars. Um, wow. People were saying, well, they could, they could take drive a car off the road, you know, assassination, things like that. That's what CIA you know, does as an intelligence agency. They look at ways to get information and pursue diplomatic objectives. So, yes, these things are part of our lives, but, you know, it's not just, you know, a, uh, the government that could take advantage of these things. It could be a criminal group that compromises Amazon. Burger King just yesterday sent a, or the other day sent a commercial to television that said, okay, I won't say the, the vendor, and uh, it activated all these Google Home devices within earshot. Oh boy, and, and that so, terrified—you know—that yeah. woke people up. Oh my gosh, Amazon had the same thing a few months ago with a, a dollhouse story. Uh, a news reporter said, um, "Alexa, blah 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 blah," and dollhouses were ordered. <laughs> so uh, the public is aware, becoming aware of these um, the vulnerabilities associated with these IoT type devices. Is it just that the technologies advancing the? I guess, the legislation and the governing of the technology? Is it because people like you know what's going on, but it seems like we're really slow to be making laws and, and I guess, and understanding what's going on as, as a populace? The law will always, yeah, law and policy are always going to lag uh, technology development. That's just, you know, that's been proven time and again going back, uh, you know, years decades, generations even. Um, so the, the key thing is, as I, as I continue to tell people, these new technologies are wonderful, but when you look at them and you're, while you're attracted by the benefits or the convenience or the cost savings of all these things, don't ignore the potential risks. What are you trading in exchange for this convenience? Uh, an always-on microphone in your living room, uh, data mining of your voice searches, things like that. Are those trade-offs worth it for you math. Hmm. Because I can see to my 12-year-old, my 14-year-old, they don't even, yeah, sure. I mean, I come from a generation where there were still, you know, there was still communism that could destroy us and a Cold War and eventually stuff could go really ugly. But my kids, I think, are, are very willing to give up. It's almost like they don't, they don't even know they have those rights, those freedoms. And I'm seeing more and more being written and spoken about that, how this is a generational shift in uh, maybe historical understanding or cultural memory about these things that, you know, we, re- you know, our generation, Gen X and the earlier, we have um, we had an understanding and appreciation of uh, of the world, the world around us and these trade offs. Modern folks, you know, they. They never grew up at a time when you didn't have to go through tons of security at the airport. Right. Um, they never lived, grew up in a time where um, you weren't connected ten ways on social media. 
Uh, so yes, there are these understandings that craft their knowledge and understanding of the world, and that can be good, but it can also cause problems with critically analyzing what these new technology developments mean for, for them going forward. What does this mean? Um, I mean, I think a lot of people f- are, are under the assumption that, well, I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm not a spy. So, you know, if the NSA wants to listen in on me, go ahead. But um, I, I guess, too, if you can be hacked by the NSA or the CIA, you could just as easily be hacked by anybody that wants to, you know, use information against you. It could use your search engine searches, you know, oh, so you're looking up pornography. You were looking up, uh, you know, dating websites and you're a married person because there is extortion, right? There's e-extortion. There's all these things out there. How does this impact the person that makes the argument that I'm not doing anything illegal? Right. I think and I think you explained that pretty, pretty perfectly. Uh, yeah. For me, I'm less worried about what the NSA or the CIA or the FBI might find by surveilling me in some way as I am about my Internet provider being able to know what websites I search or who I email on a regular basis, which is a new problem in recent weeks with the rollback of some uh, Internet privacy regulations in the White House last week. Um, So, yeah, it's not just the governments we have to worry about. I think more people are concerned about being profiled commercially and then having that profile data shared with other companies for marketing purposes or, um, God forbid, a criminal element targets you and gets this information. Uh, So it's not just the government people have to worry about. And to think that if they have nothing to hide, they really shouldn't care, I think that's really um, a misguided defense. Yeah, I mean, again – Wait till they're calling you and need $500 or they'll explain to your wife, whatever. Um, it's, a, it's a scary it's a scary age. We, uh, we'll come back and continue this discussion with Dr. Richard Forno. He's walking us through uh, some of the latest um, about the release of information, CIA uh, information on WikiLeaks. Crazy technology, folks, and it's making us vulnerable in a variety of ways. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Richard Forno. He's a senior lecturer in the University of Maryland, Baltimore County Department of Computer Science and Electrical Engineering, where he directs the Graduate Cybersecurity Program. He also serves as the assistant director uh, of the Center for Cybersecurity and is a junior affiliate scholar at the Stanford uh, Law School Center for Internet and Society. Dr. Forno, again, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. This um, it, it's a really I think we're in a weird stage. We've always known that there were spies. We always knew our country was doing things, you know, in the shadows to protect the country. Now we live in a day and an age where WikiLeaks, for example, is posting it. We're now finding out what they're doing and. Um, so how do you, in your head, as an expert and a scholar on the subject, where do we draw the line to, you know, cyber spying is important and they're violating a lot of us and our laws? 
Well, certainly um, the Internet and technology is playing an, a, a more important role in intelligence gathering, um, not just for the U.S., but for many countries. Uh, as society has moved into the information age, uh, it just makes sense that the spies go where the information is. Right. And that tends to be online and on computers. Um, I don't think uh, the WikiLeaks disclosures, and I, I use the plural because there are they continue to release things, really show security professionals and even IT experts that um, what we've warned about for years is indeed uh, coming true, that things like uh, your refrigerator could be reached by the outside world over the Internet, that um, you know, your television could be you know, used as a surveillance device, that your social media postings or your email – Privacy is a concern, and this just underscores what many of us have warned about for for many years. Hmm. Does have we are we kind of naive to it? Because, for example, during the election, we heard many people praising WikiLeaks because it was exposing Hillary Clinton, um, and yet simultaneously, those those are the same people that would worry a lot about their freedom of of what the government can do and can't do is is are we just do we just need more education on what's going on and and how to be better online citizens and more protected well i think that a certain degree of um uh, digital knowledge and knowing how to be a good online citizen and i use that term both politically and in practice uh is a good thing you know know how to uh control your home router and your home devices to make sure that you're not exposing your home network or, or you know making privacy uh you know violations easier um so i think starting even in grade school there needs to be um some level of um basic computer competency not just programming and coding but just how to be a citizen in the digital age with all the uh, to understand the ramifications of what we're talking about um, as a society, I think with the last uh, last year with the election, um, WikiLeaks and, and and other groups they played a role. I think I mean it was a very I mean everything was upended last year. I mean no matter what the issue was, no matter what the angle was, there was somebody taking the exact opposite view. So I wouldn't place too much emphasis on Wiki. Wikipedia as the um, you know a, a major threat per se is a function of the internet age. There will always be sites on the internet that will disclose information that's embarrassing to somebody. Hmm. Is it? Tell me what it's doing to business. This has got. I mean, it's one thing to just be the average citizen, but man, if you're someone like Facebook, this has got to be your worst nightmare every day. <laughs> like to to worry about all of your people being exposed, huge amounts of data being put out there. How how is business handling it, and and how what is the threat to business? Well, the threat for business, I think, is um, with regards to technology and sort of what we're talking about, is are things like using Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn as your single logon for the internet. So you would log into the Washington Post as the same ID that you would sign into Facebook, as the same as you would sign into Amazon. So if that one user ID and password gets compromised at Facebook or wherever, um, you've got problems. So again, it's this whole convenience versus security argument and situation that's allowed to crop up unchecked in recent years that makes businesses far more susceptible to data breaches and things like we're seeing with them with the, the CIA and WikiLeaks. 
Is it uh, do you do you feel like businesses are handling it well? Are they are they protecting us? Because it, it does seem like in a way it's almost the government that's having a harder time with the leaks than maybe some of the the bigger mainstream companies that we use. Well, there's a fair amount of data breaches and, and uh, you know losses of, of personal information that occur regularly in the private sector. So I think there's more than enough um, problems to go around. Uh, you know, certainly the government breaches and are high priority and high profile, as are things like Target or Home Depot. Um, but I, I think the problem we see with, um, uh, with with businesses is that they're starting to, you know, they're taking out insurance policies on themselves to cover expenses and losses incurred with um, with cyber related issues. The other day, I saw a news article, and I, I I don't remember where, but it was a mainstream news source saying that an insurance company was considering asking its clients to prove that they had good computer security on their home computers um, during the, uh, a, a, an insurance company data breach, as if the insurance company was trying to force responsibility off them onto the end users. Oh, and that boy. was an interesting role reversal, and that, I think, uh, is, would raise concerns if it ever went further than just being talked about. Oh, interesting, yeah, because now you can't just rely on businesses to protect you. You have to be on top of your game. Right. Will the business turn around and say, well, we did our part. Yeah. Uh, are you, as our customer, doing your part? Hmm. And uh, cybersecurity, indeed, is a partnership between government, business, and, and, and the individuals. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, if you aren't doing all you can as a business, uh, I'm not sure that just pointing fingers at somebody else is going to fix your problem. Yeah. In your article, you brought up a really interesting point about, and we've seen so many leaks come out of the White House and all throughout uh, government recently, especially with President Trump in there. You suggested in your article that maybe there are too many, there's too much classified information and there's too many people in the government that have, um, you know, access to these and uh, what's it called, Um, credentials to get access to this information. Are we, is there too much uh, classified information. Absolutely. Uh, this has been a concern for um, many people going back at least to the, to the 1980s um, with uh, Senator Moynihan, who was an ardent uh, supporter of classification reform. There are far too many secrets that are kept made secret needlessly by the government. And a lot of times it's done either to um, for power to kind of keep things private so I can stay relevant as an agency huh. or, or a department, but also um, uh, to uh, you know, pump up their own self-importance. And that raises you know, the problem of needing people to access this information. So you've got to click clear them. And it means that you've got more people on the inside who could theoretically turn into an insider threat and steal those very secrets that you're trying to protect. So there is far too much classified, uh, even at the very lowest levels. A lot of things are classified just to keep it away from reporters for 24 hours or so (laughs) before it leaks out. Um, But to play in that world, you've got to jump through many hoops on a regular basis, and I think more money is wasted playing that game. Um, than uh, is gained by keeping all these things secret as we do. Yeah, and it seems like we're also politicizing in a way tech or knowledge, classified information, our secrets. It's it's becoming seems like more and more political, where even parties may be using it against each other. Absolutely. Uh, again, politics is politics. That's going to happen no matter what classification reforms might come down the road. 
But with regards to cybersecurity and vulnerabilities and uh, ways of getting into systems like we see in the WikiLeaks, the, a vulnerability in a computer or a device doesn't separate the good guys from the bad guys and say, oh, you're a good guy, I'll let you in, but you're yeah. a criminal, so I'll prevent you. A vulnerability is like a door to your house. It's going to open for whoever's there. And if there's no key available, it can be kicked down by a good guy or a bad guy. So uh, classifying a vulnerability in cyberspace or that there's a problem with a given device uh, doesn't really serve much long-term useful purpose. And indeed, some argue it places the Internet at greater risk because it exposes more people needlessly to vulnerabilities that could be fixed. Yeah. Do you have any feeling as to why today we see and hear more and more leaks, I guess, even from our government, from investigators, from uh, – I mean, is it is it just becoming more popular? Is, is Has – has WikiLeaks and Julian Assange become this cult figure? Um, what's driving all of the leaking of the data? Well, I think what drives WikiLeaks is uh, the news cycle and getting their name out there and, to a large extent, ego. I think beyond WikiLeaks, but just leaking in general, we've always leaked. And the news, the news media is hungry for information, for stories, as they should be. And uh, in an era where a government or an administration is trying to be much more restrictive and circumvent about facts or they're playing fast and loose with facts, getting leaked information helps the public and the media paint a picture of what's really happening in the world. So it can serve a useful purpose for the public, even if it annoys those in charge. Mm. Give us some grades as we wrap this up. What grade would you give our government, our federal government at – at uh, maintaining their security and keeping their secrets? Uh, I would say it's probably a D plus. Really? Ah, is it that bad? And uh, I think so. What would you say overall for corporations, corporate America? Corporate America is probably a C plus to a B minus. And what would you say to the average Joe just in his own house? Uh, the average Joe, I'd say anywhere between a uh, a C to a B. Some huh. some end users are surprisingly very savvy and they want to protect themselves, but there are those they'll just buy something at the store and plug it in and think they're safe when they're really not. No, yeah, they're exposed to all the neighbors and everyone else. Well, okay, uh, Richard, we appreciate your insight. Thank you for your time. Keep up the great work, and I'm excited to have you back to uh, pick your brain some more. Dr. Richard Forno is his name, and. Um, Cybersecurity is his game. We appreciate his time. And you can find out more. Just look up Dr. Richard Forno, again, a senior lecturer in the University of Maryland, Baltimore County Department of Computer Science. Great resource to all of us. Also writes a lot of uh, wonderful articles as well. We'll take a break, my friends, and come back and continue the discussion here on the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome to her house. She is looking about. She is here to break down things you didn't know now. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in the studio. McKenna Baus, our great producer and social media guru. Uh, today, she we, we, we have McKenna in to do what we call little mind benders, just things to make us think. We want to make you think. And today, she's going to help us become a super ager. Yeah. So, you know how 
a lot of people, when they start getting a little older, sometimes, you know, as early as their 60s, you know, they start forgetting things. Yeah. You're just not feeling as sharp as you used to. Oh, yeah. I mean... It, every day of Every my day, life. yeah. But then you see those people who are well into their 80s, 90s, and seem to just be still going really oh. strong. They're writing books and they're, you know... They're, they can remember everything. They're doing Zumba and yeah. Pilates classes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, why? How did you get that energy? I'm like, I'm, I'm in my 20s really? and I don't have that energy. Yeah. No, I just played tennis the other day and I feel like I'm 90. Yeah. Like I have to actually, to get out of bed, I have to kick my leg up in the air to get like momentum going. I, I know it's that It's not feeling. pretty. It's yeah. not pretty. And you have to grunt. So it's not good. So... There's actually a trick to super aging. Super aging. What's the trick? Well, what they did is they started doing some studies on people who were sort of regular agers and super agers, and they found a difference in the brain. And it came down to sort of like how thick some of the material in the brain is, and that is caused by a lot of use. The more you're you're doing like hard lifting per se with yeah, your mind, with your brain, with your brain, it helps in. You know, we hear this like, oh, you know, do like little puzzles like Sudoku uh-huh. is going to keep you sharp. That's not enough. What it is is you have to do those tasks that sort of hurt a little bit. You know, when you think so hard that you're like, ah, oh, this hurts. Like, or like taxes. Like, yeah, there for you tax go. tax season. Um, or even exercising, but not like casual, I'm going to go for a walk, but the kind of exercising where it's really nasty for a little bit and then yes. you get into your groove. And doing those kind of activities, things that either physically or mentally sort of wear you out at first, but uh-huh. then feel good after, those are the kinds of activities that build up the muscle. Well, and maybe a lot of us we avoid that, right? We, yeah. We don't we we don't want to have to exert our brain that much, so we just kind of fall back to the easier things we know. Yeah. So learning a language would be a great way. Would be a great to way. super age, or you know, instead of just reading a casual book that's you know you can sort of absentmindedly read pick something that challenges you yeah um instead of going for a daily walk go for a swim and swim for a while um do something that really pushes you out of that comfort zone even if it feels productive you got to get uncomfortable and that thickens your brain yep so when your wife says you're thick-headed that's good good you might be a good super agent there you go yeah yeah you, you should use that see jeff you're good dude you're good. Thick head. Hmm. Um, but it's just really it, – it's really cool because I think a lot of times as we get older, as we're feeling more of that wear and tear of life, we're a little more tired and we have more of that inclination like, yeah, we want to stay sharp. But we're like, okay, you know, I'm retired or whatever. I can take it easier now. And the trick is is don't. If you want to be doing well, don't take it easy. These – uh, super agers, you know, who are in their 80s and 90s, it turned out that they're they were just about as mentally sharp as the average 25 year old oh, because really? of this. And so you can see it's not just like a minor benefit. You're going to be seeing huge, huge payoffs, but you really, really have to get down and dirty. So I like that. It shouldn't life shouldn't get easier. No. If you want to be a super ager, you got to keep it hard. But if you want to burn out like a really cheap sparkler on the 4th of July, then just make life easy. Yep. That's good. Good lesson. See, McKenna? A little mind bender right there. And a little mind thickener. There, Yes. You done just thickened our brains a bit. 
helping us age to be super agers. McKenna Baus is her name. Baus in the house. We'll take a break, my friends. Helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Friday to you. You gotta love it. It's Friday. And, uh, which means we're not only launching the weekend, it also means... At BYU Broadcasting, we will be having a, uh, a little pancake breakfast. Was there a reason for this pancake breakfast? To celebrate our new boss, probably. Huh. I'm betting. And well, more... when I when I showed up, no one celebrated my arrival. Yeah, yours will probably be more when you leave. Really? Not a celebration, but yeah. like that's where you'll get your watch. So like a, a week after I'm gone, you yeah. guys will have a party. Did you notice the pretty? Yeah. Interesting, huh? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, The producers had a little pizza party yesterday. Yeah, I saw that. They've been doing this every Thursday now. Yeah. Really? They were driving me crazy because I sit right by them, and that aroma just gets all up in my nose, and I can't can't handle it anymore. Well, don't you just go circle their area? Well, they offer a slice to everybody, FYI. Oh, they do. They didn't offer me one. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of weird. It is rude. But I, I just heard a lot of clamoring, so I got out from under my desk and uh, my sleeping bag. Mm, yeah. And then I went out, and I'm like, I was going to say, hey, what's all the racket? I'm trying to sleep. And then they were having a pizza party. Hmm. It was interesting. Palakiko, mm-hmm. Caitlin, yeah. having a party. Other innocent parties that will remain unnamed. Yeah. Now, did he – did uh, Palakiko uh, bake the pizza? No. On his Cooking with Kiko show? No. But that will be one of our new segments someday, Cooking with Kiko. Yeah, we'll see. But a lot of what he makes, it's not actually cooked. He just It's like tuna fish. So he's got he's on a raw diet then. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it really should be cooking. It should be more like stirring with Kiko. Well, he said like he just chops the head off and says, there you go, eat. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, hold on. We having crawfish? Is that what we're doing? What are we doing? Do I have to suck the head out of that thing? Um, so... It's it's Friday, folks, and that is that's good. Today we've got a great topic. Isn't it tax weekend? It's tax weekend. In fact, okay. right now well, I'm trying. Tax day is Monday. You said right. Well, hold on, is that right? No. What? It's <gasps> actually Tuesday. Hold it. What? Yeah. Oh right. See, it, no, this is a whole thing. You okay. were gone when make I went sh- through Make this. sure that you're accurate on this because I'm killing myself right now. So normally get... tax day is what, the 15th? Yeah, tomorrow. Now that's a Saturday. So what they usually do is then it's pushed to Monday because it's a weekend. Right. Monday is uh, it's celebration of Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves. Oh, well, let's – yeah, Emancipation Day. Let's yeah, not ruin that, that. That is a federal recognized holiday. Okay, so good. then that moves it to – Tuesday. So Tuesday is the actual tax deadline. Okay. Great news. Yeah. Can I be emancipated from the show on Monday? Just for Monday? No. We hmm. emancipated you for about two minutes during the last hour. <laughs> that was different. So We took care of that. Yeah. Well, you took care of that. You've had your two minutes. Your two minutes of fame. 
So yeah, tax day is actually uh, Tuesday this year. Okay, because I I'm really getting frustrated with ta- my tax people because they have a really high tech device that you're supposed to enter everything into, right. and I can never access it. And then they send me an email. It's just really simple. Just use this and this and this. So it's a website. And give us this. Yeah. Yeah. Never can access it. Right. My wife can. Yeah. But she doesn't have all the data. I can't, but I have all the data. Hmm. So then they send me a new passcode. Doesn't right. work. Right. I'm I'm about done. Hmm. I'm about done. Anyway, just a little information for Can you. Can you send your tax guy the information to have him enter it in? He apparently has the Well, inside. I actually did, but yeah. I'm not I have this feeling it because it wasn't entered in through his system that he didn't Ah. Get it. Sounds like they say it's easy, but it's actually complicated. Yeah. It's almost like trying to buy a ticket on United Airlines. But don't worry. Hmm. Don't worry. They've cut the staff at the IRS. Nobody's getting audited <laughs> unless you make a lot of money. <laughs> Sounds yeah, like we need to have it. your tax guy on the show. Oh, yeah, does we, it? Let's, let's hash this out on the air. How's that? Yeah, let's not do that. You could yell at him. He not, could say, well, sir. I'm, not, uh, not until it's done. Does Once he call the you sir? Uh, yeah. So he's not a friend? He's actually a friend. Oh, so he calls you Matt. But he used to be a friend. Oh, not a friend anymore? Not a friend anymore. Wow. So it's, the relationship is more professional now. If that, yeah. How does the relationship Whoa. coach fix a fractured friendship? Well, it's a tax guy. So it doesn't matter? So right now, they don't have this time feelings? of year. Is that what you're saying? This time of year, everybody struggles with their tax people. So I'm just going to let – I'll wait till June. Mm. Then I'll probably get him something. Like a fruit basket. Well, then he'll send me an invoice. Ah. <laughs> so I'll actually, I'll probably wait till September. Mm. You know, he can't. He can't accept that. I think it's considered a gift. Yeah. Oh wait, no, that's if you're yeah. being audited. I yeah. think. He's. Which he, is. It sounds like it's. You're on the way to yeah. that. It's like there's a lot of warning signs here. I was gonna. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's not even. That's not even a funny joke because the tax people, the IRS, they're incredible. Yeah. Gifts from heaven. Horribly understaffed. Horribly understaffed. And they don't have the technology they Just need. Just looking at a million and up here. That's your income. If you hit that million mark, you're getting audited yeah, from Not even close. Got to make up that revenue they're losing. Yeah. What if you're at two mil? <laughs> oh, definitely. Maybe oh. three audits at the same time. Ah, jeez. Okay. That won't work. Uh, also got a great topic. There's an illusion called the knowledge illusion, which is where humans, we believe we know more than we know. Mm. And some even believe they know much more than they actually know. But- We'll be trying to break down this illusion. How do we make it through life if we always think we know everything? This right. doesn't apply to me. I, I always knew I didn't know as much as I thought I did. You know? Did you know that? Did you know that? I didn't know that. But the illusion, everybody has it. Like, do you know how certain things work? The, the, our, our professor will be bringing up, do you know how the toilet, your toilet works? Well, yeah. Sort of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gravity. And, and do you know – so? but then do you know how, it, how everything actually gets to where it needs to go? Well, there's a pipe in the ground and voila, it's there. But I guess so the pipe is obviously tilted and slanted well, enough sure. to make it go somewhere. But what I, if I was there's told not long enough, ago, plumbing works because everything rolls downhill. What so. if there's not enough water? What if there, so anyway, we don't know, but we think right. we know because we flushed. Right. So <laughs> I thought I knew and then this happened. Yeah. Explosive pipes. That was bad. That was bad. Do you remember that? Yeah. When he came in, just 
on fire but wet. Yeah, it was weird. That was a bad toilet. I was a big, hot, wet mess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> kind of gross. We'll get to all that fun. Also, a little empty news for you, some crazy headlines coming up, um, including the New Zealand prime minister likes a little spaghetti on his pizza. Yeah, world leaders in their pizza. Weird. Weird these stuff. stories keep popping up. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? British spy agency GCHQ, that's their equivalent of the NSA, shared intelligence information with the U.S. that first alerted the Americans to the potentially troublesome ties between then-candidate Donald Trump's campaign team and Russian operatives, The Guardian was reporting. GCHQ alerted U.S. agents to suspicious interactions between tr- the Trump orbit individuals and known suspected Russian agents in late 2015, and alongside other European intelligence agencies informed the U.S. of the connections. GCHQ was not conducting a targeted operation against Trump, but rather the the alleged conversations were picked up by chance, the Guardian says. Uh, Apparently, the British agents had to, as they said, wake up their U.S. counterparts because by U.S. law, they don't look at those type of communications. And they're like, hey, why are all these people talking to the Russian operatives? And they're like, what? So they, huh. to, they, they said they had to talk to them three or four times to get the U.S. intelligence actually to look into the information that they had sent them. Oh. This was in 2015, right? The election, everything, 2016 is uh, late 2016 is when the Obama administration put out a notice saying this had happened. So that's kind of the timelines coming together. One of the next items on the list for Congress is to pass a federal budget and avoid a government shutdown. Senator Michael Bennett and Cory Gardner have filed a bill. Bennett is a Democrat. Gardner is a Republican. Have filed a bill that would require senators to stay in Washington and close to the Senate floor during budget deliberations. Any senator caught playing hooky would then be subject to arrest by the Senate Sergeant at Arms. Ooh. This forces people to be here on the Senate floor, working it out and finding solutions, Gardner explains. Meanwhile, Representative Kurt Schrader of Oregon has introduced legislation that would slash congressional salaries by the amount of a single day's pay for every day the shutdown is in effect. Ooh, The longest government shutdown lasted 21 days in the 1990s and at the current base salary rate of $174,000, that would be ten, a $10,000 pay cut to the senators. In every other profession, if you don't do your job, you don't get paid. Why on earth should we be any different? I like it. I like it. Now, seeing that the senators are going to have to pass this on senators. Okay, so that's not happening. Yeah, so this is fun, but not going to happen. For the past several years, U.S. Border Patrol has struggled to fill its ranks with agents who meet its standards now. Under orders from President Trump they swiftly to swiftly recruit thousands of new employees, the agency is contemplating changing some of its hiring requirements. The biggest shift would be to eliminate the use of a rigorous polygraph exam for many applicants while implementing an alternative test for others. The polygraph has given us a difficult time, says the Border Patrol chief. <laughs> on Wednesday at a conference in San Antonio on border security, he, goes, he says... Not a lot of people are passing. but And that doesn't mean they're liars. It just means those are hard tests. Yeah. And if you have a really active conscience, conscience yeah. then you might be self-critical and doubting. Overly critical. Yeah. yeah. It's just kind of funny. We're going to eliminate the polygraph because we just can't find anyone to pass the test. <laughs> Why you, so now what's it going to be like a, a leg wrestle? Could be. Leg wrestle. Could be. Maybe an ink blot sort Ah, of situation. Mm -hmm. NASA on Thursday announced it has discovered one of Saturn's moons that could sustain life. The tiny moon called Incladius has almost all the ingredients that you need to support life as we know it, says the uh, project scientist 
Linda Spikler said the revelation that prompted the announcement was that Enclidius is home to an underground saltwater ocean, which hints at active energy sources similar to the Earth's undersea vents. Ooh. On Earth, seawater reacts with the hot upswelling or upwelling rocks that are rich in iron and magnesium, explains the BBC, resulting in a release of hydrogen, one of the elements necessary to sustain life. Scientists believe a similar reaction is occurring in the waters beneath uh, Saturn's moon. So, this is exciting. Well, I don't know. I, I, it joins Mars as being something that possibly could be something. Yeah. But again, we're going to find out there is life, and we're all going to be disappointed with what it is. It's going to be microscopic. It's like an algae. Yeah. We're like, oh, oh geez. Like science. Another algae. We want ET. Go. Yeah. Well, not ET, but no. something like that. Did you hear about the Mountain Dew spill at a Michigan plant? Talked about it the other day. Tell me about it, because uh, how could ma- a Mountain Dew spill? It caused a massive foaming event, I believe they referred to it a as. A foaming event. A foaming event. Jeff, do you remember when you had your foaming event? Yeah, and I had to get a shot, and uh, wasn't pretty. Yeah, that was ugly. so. What seven thousand gallons of maple, ma- gallons of maple syrup, ma- or Mountain Dew maple syrup, Mountain Dew syrup? Ooh, spills into their sewage system. Oh boy! Now the su- just it's just what wastewater from the process of making beverages. Yeah. So now it made fifty six thousand gallons of this foaming event that they then pushed out of the building and then called the environmental protection people to come help them clean it up it went into a holding pond just adjacent from the bottling plant yeah. but still that's a lot of i think i ugh. saw a video where then were a bunch of guys like riding um like a wipes down and jumping into this pond no. of foam no. i don't know if you want to get into that yeah maybe this is the pond that uh goldie the si- the goldfish the size of a football was in oh that was and that's why he got movie. mutated yeah there were but, concerns because, you know, caffeinated fish might be a bad thing. I'm not sure. Mm. Ooh, have you ever had caffeinated fish? I have not. Mm, on the Barbie? <laughs> caffeinated fish on the Barbie. Do you do the do? I did the do. I don't do the do anymore. You don't do the do anymore. I done did the do. But, mm. it, you know, but I'm done. Done did. I'm done doing the do, and I will never do the do again. Nice hairdo, by the way. Thanks. You too. Do, 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 do. That's all that's left. Is I, I'm not a Mountain Dew person. Hmm. No. I actually haven't consumed um, – I've consumed like four ounces of caffeinated beverage. Since the incident. Since the incident. Oh, since wow. the foaming incident. The foaming. <laughs> but yeah, they called it a massive foaming incident. We're like, oh, that sounds bad. That sounds really bad. Yeah. Did you hear about this gum that can tell if you have cancer? No. Yeah, a new gum. That uh, I guess can't you just go see a doctor um, instead of relying on? Well, gum? yeah, I mean, if you want to do it the expensive way. Oh, okay, go ahead. This isn't expensive. Yeah, this gotcha. is the cheap way, and it isn't juicy fruit. It's not bazooka. Yeah, those gum... ones cause cancer, don't they? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, you can't. I can't name a name brand like that, and then you say they cause cancer. I heard. I heard. Uh, Boosie fruit. Yeah. Or Boosie it rhymes with Boosie Blute and um, well, he wasn't Fazuka defi- Joe. He wasn't definitive with the accusation. He asked the question, but doesn't neither it? of That's those true. have anything to do with cancer. Wow. Okay. Just in case, yeah. uh, neither do Boosie Blute nor Fazuka. Quality taste. You guys, what? These people. These are people too. Well, I understand. Companies but are people. I've too. also sampled the product, and eh. there's well, a gum. Joe shouldn't be carrying around a bazooka. That's all I'm saying. Great point. Uh, there's a gum being developed by an Alabama company called Volatile. The company, oh, sorry, the company's called Volatile Analysis. 
Oh, okay. And the gum is designed to determine whether a person has cancer. The gum absorbs what are known as volatiles in a person's saliva as they chew it. Oh. Then the chewed gum is analyzed to determine whether it contains certain chemicals produced in the body when a person has cancer. What a honestly, that's right. great. Yeah. I mean, some of the tests to know if you have cancer, pretty invasive. Right. So wouldn't you rather just have some gum? Yeah. Cancer chew. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody ever ask you when you were a kid if you wanted ABC gum? Yeah, that's yeah. gross. You say no. Thank you. I always said it was pretty good. I wanted NBC gum. Um, you guys are weird. <laughs> this is this is a really huge advancement because all these guys that have to go in for their cancer screenings, prostate cancer screenings, and now you just – what if you could just go in and while you're visiting the doctor, they just have you chew some gum and then you could just spit it into a little specimen jar and then they call you later if you got a problem. That – is amazing. Keep it up. Just as long as it comes with a comic, I'm cool with it. As you just want to, as long as it has a cartoon in it. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh boy, everything's about entertainment for you. Everything is about entertainment. Jeffrey Liam Simpson. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the knowledge illusion. Why is it that people think they know so much, even things they don't know, they think they know? Interesting subject. Stick with us. Humans have built hugely complex societies and technologies, but most of us don't even know how a pen or a toilet works. How have we achieved so much despite understanding so little? Cognitive scientist Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach argue that we survive and thrive despite our mental shortcomings because we live in a rich community of knowledge. Co-author of the book, The Knowledge Illusion, joins us today to discuss the key to our intelligence. Stephen Sloman, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. What an interesting idea. I mean, really, your your point is um, we, we aren't as smart as we think we are, and we have a lot of access to information, it sounds like. But really, we, we I maybe interpret having all that access to being to the idea that we actually are that smart. Uh, exactly. So as individuals, we're extremely limited. We're limited physically. We're limited cognitively. No, we just don't know that much. But we think we know a lot. We think we know a lot more than we do. That's what the knowledge illusion is. And the basic idea of the book is that um, we experience this illusion of knowledge because we confuse what we know for what others know. It's, it's people around us know something then we attribute that knowledge to ourselves. Why do we do that? Why? There's got to be, I guess, some reason evolutionarily. You're a cognitive scientist. Why would, why would we want... It seems like that makes us vulnerable to think we're that smart. Well, I, it does make us vulnerable to some extent, but for the most part, it has no ill effect. I think the reason we do that is because we live in a community of knowledge. So the basic premise of the book is that we should think of thought 
not as something that happens inside the skull, not as something that belongs to the individual, but something that happens in a community, right? We tell communal narratives, um, we discuss things endlessly, and those discussions are actually part of the process of thought. So what's amazing about human beings is our ability to cooperate intellectually, not just in small groups, but even in large groups. Uh, and, and so the knowledge illusion, I think, stems from the fact that we're really made to collaborate. We're huh. made to, to relate to other people cognitively. That, I mean, it really is. It's amazing enough that we are intellectual and can think at these higher levels. But what's really more amazing is how we can do it so cooperatively. And um, and I guess that, that makes us really able to solve any problem if we it's only dependent on our cooperation. Exactly. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what humanity has achieved, right? We, uh, we have built iPhones and laptops and have gone to the moon and have covered the entire earth. Um, we are an incredible species, but everything we do, and I would, I would literally say everything we do from crossing the streets to flying airplanes, um, we do as a group. We don't do individually. As individuals, we're not really made for survival. We're made for survival within a group context, and as a group, we can achieve incredible things because of our mental powers. That's powerful. And I mean, I, to me, that's very humbling. Uh, but I guess that's part of the illusion is we we actually think it's up to us. It's about us. We're very kind of myopic, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing how myopic we are in that sense. I mean, uh, since I've written the book and I've been talking to a lot of people, so many people have come up to me with the complaint that everyone around them thinks they know everything. <laughs> and and it, it, it is a problem um, that we all experience. I think we particularly experience, experience it when we are defending our political position. Yeah. Right? If we're talking to somebody who has a different point of view, we feel this strong need to argue in favor of the set of beliefs we have. And I think that that, in part, is because when we are defending our political position, we're not just saying what we believe, but we're reflecting our community. We're channeling our community. And so we feel this special responsibility. But we've seen it in politics, too. We channel our community, I guess, in in um, competition of another community. So Democrats fight Republicans on their views, but then Americans fight the globalization and uh, Britons fight uh, Brexit. And But really, we're talking about our knowledge is only improved as we can cooperate with more and more and more and more people. Right. So can I briefly tell you about a little study I did yeah, with I did. a student at Brown? Yeah. Um, so we told one group of people that scientists have, we made up some scientific phenomena, like, say, a system of helium rain. doesn't actually exist, but we told students uh, scientists had discovered this system of helium rain, and um, they hadn't yet explained it. They didn't understand how it works, but, you know, there it is, it exists. How well do you understand it? 
And, and our participants said, well, they don't understand it at all. Why should they? We haven't told them anything about it. Different group of people. We said the same thing. Scientists have discovered the system of helium rain, and they understand how it works. They fully explained it. And that's all we told them. We didn't tell them how it works. We just said the scientists know how it works. Yeah. How well do you understand it? And now people's sense of understanding was a little higher. Interesting. Merely because other people knew. And we've now shown this with political policies as well, right? So merely saying researchers understand what the effect of the policy will be, make people feel like they understand the policy a little bit. So if every, imagine everybody around you says they understand something, right? Yeah. They, they understand why Hillary is crooked or they understand, you know, something about the Republicans. Eventually, if everybody around you feels they understand, then you're going to feel like you understand, too. What an interesting thing. We're actually drawing on like a collective we. I may not even know the, the researcher that knows something, but I, there's the collective we I guess I belong to. Exactly. That's exactly the point. And by the way, it's not just true of political policy. Right, the no. original demonstrations of this were with ballpoint pens and zippers and toilets and, you know, common artifacts. People think they understand things better than, in fact, they do. And, and the weird thing, Stephen, is we're confident. We actually are confident but ignorant but we know, I guess, we can get the knowledge. If I want to go get it, I can go read about helium rain from the researcher. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly the point. So I believe um, that what the human mind represents is not knowledge itself, but the ability to access the knowledge. It represents the access points to knowledge rather than the knowledge. And in a sense, that's much more useful, right? If the person beside me knows what it is that I need to know, um, that's almost as good as me knowing it myself. I hmm. can just ask. Or if the Internet knows it and I know where to find it on the Internet, that's pretty much as good as, as having the information in my head. And that's exactly what we mean by a community of knowledge. But how many times have I had a guest on the show where or we hear the latest study that contradicts the last study and um, and that now we can say, oh, yeah, well, now we know X, Y, Z. And, and then you bring a professor on and even the professor knows he doesn't know. <laughs> it's it's just amazing that it's almost like it's it's fun to talk to a professor about their specialty because they know so much about it. But they also know what they don't know. Let me tell you something, Matt. It's taken me decades to learn that I don't know anything. Yeah. And, and I think that. That is a very common experience. I think you're right. Enter our program, and they think they know everything, and it's the world is just unbelievably complex. So there are some very cool studies. Some of them done by a guy named David Dunning, who's now at Michigan, and other people showing that the people who are most confident about political issues tend to know the least about them. Really? Let me, let, me, let me briefly tell you about one of them, because it's uh, quite a clever study. So uh, these guys ask people to identify the location of the Ukraine on a map, and then they also ask them whether they felt that the U.S. should um, engage in the war in Crimea, which is in the Ukraine. Yeah. And the people who are most confident about the U.S. getting involved in the war 
were the people who were furthest in um, their ability to locate Ukraine <laughs> on a map. Oh, that's pathetic. <laughs> it's pathetic. But again, there's this confidence in knowing. We, I mean, a lot of people argue Trump acts as if he knows so much because he knows people that know things. But it, oh. but it really, I guess, it, it steers us into trouble, I guess, sometimes because we maybe write checks that we can't deliver on. That's right. Or, I mean, as you just said, elect presidents who are the prime examples of the knowledge illusion. Mm. think they know everything and, in fact, know nothing. Um, it, it's really dangerous. And is, I guess, I mean, I know in your article that uh, a couple of the articles we've read about your work, it's, it's somehow humility is the answer. Is that is that true? Does it really go back to just you've got to – you got to remain curious in the world instead of as secure as you think you are. Mm. Well, that's pretty much the best we can do. Yeah, I mean, no silver bullets here. This this is a really, really hard problem. And if we could solve it, I, I think the the world would be a better place. But first, let me say that it's it's only a problem in certain domains, right? Like with regard to our knowledge about toilets and ballpoint hmm. pens. We do just fine, yeah. right? I may think I, I understand my car better than I do, and the worst that will happen is I'll get stranded somewhere uh, unable to fix my car. But for the most part, you know, we can call the mechanic and we're okay. It's in domains in which there's not general acceptance about what ground truth is, right, about who the experts really are that, uh, that we do run into problems and that things can get kind of scary. So what's the solution? Well, you know, one of it, of course, one solution is that we have to reach outside our bubble. We can't just listen to our echo chamber. We have to actually talk to people who have uh, a diversity of perspectives. Um, but, I, but the main concrete proposal is exactly what you said, that we have to have less hubris. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and there's actually, um, so one thing we cover in the book is that there's a concrete way to puncture people's illusion of understanding and to give them less hubris. And, and that is simply to ask them to explain things. <laughs> that it's, is it's great. Really that Call their bluff. In a sense, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean you've got to be careful because you're going to make some people angry when you do that. That's such a great idea. So, yeah, we totally need to get into Crimea. I mean, come on, who doesn't? Explain. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. So why and how and what would the actual effects be in Crimea? That's right. You know, there are, according to Wikipedia, there are over 150 interest groups in, in Syria. Mm. Right? So, you know, there are, there's Assad and the militias surrounding him, and then there are all of there's ISIS, and there are a variety of different um, Muslim militias, and then there are the superpower. I mean, there's just the list of interest groups goes on and on and on. So if you realize that every pair of those interest groups are going to have some issue between them, they're either going to want to cooperate, or there's going to be some issue which leads to conflict between them. The complexity of the problem in Syria is mind-boggling. Mm. It's just mind-boggling.
mind-boggling. Nobody can fully understand it, even people who are embedded in serious spending their lives thinking about it. So to think that you're going to solve a problem like that by dropping a bomb, right, right. is, is um, wrong-headed. It, naive, yeah, yeah. Naive. Oh, man, good stuff. Stephen, let's take a break and uh, come back. I, I want to keep uh, learning more about uh, how we how we handle the knowledge illusion the uh, there's a there's a communication illusion that is the assumption that it actually takes place and apparently there's a knowledge illusion now which is the idea that we know more simply because we have extended our knowledge base to everyone around us so right that we know there's cures to cancer we don't know what they are we actually don't even know what cancer is but we know people that know people that know the answer Interesting insight. Stick with us more with Dr. Stephen Sloman when we come back. The Knowledge Illusion. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the line is Professor Stephen Sloman. Uh, he is a professor at Brown University and is a professor of cognitive, linguistic, and psychological sciences there. He also is the editor-in-chief of the journal, uh, of the journal Cognition and um, is the co-author of the book The Knowledge Illusion. He wrote that with Philip Fernbach where they um, argue that we survive and thrive despite our mental shortcomings because we live in a rich community of knowledge. Sometimes, though, knowing that we live in a rich community where uh, uh, so many of us possess little bits of the information that make life understandable also might give us a little uh, overconfidence at times. Um, is, is, that, is that a pretty accurate statement that our confidence sometimes, it shouldn't be so based personally, it should be based communally? Yeah, exactly. I think we we confuse our understanding with the understanding of our group or community. Hmm. That that's the basic idea. And again, I want to stress that it's not generally a problem. No. Right? If we're sitting around at the dinner table and having a conversation about something and sharing ideas, then we really are thinking as a community and the output of that conversation does depend on everybody, and there's no reason to separate your contribution from other people's contributions. You know, like when Phil and I think about what we each contributed to the book, we just can't do it. We don't know. Yeah, right? where does where does yeah, it end? So many yeah. of our ideas uh, emerged through collaboration. We can't we can't provide the source. But there are times when we are, in, are individually responsible for things, and if we overestimate the amount we know, that can lead to problems. Right? Is, is there a problem in the community of knowledge if, if our approach to the community is always competitive versus collaborative? Hmm. Um, yeah, well, that, that is uh, certainly an issue we have to think about when we think about group dynamics. Um, competition obviously isn't always a bad thing. That's no, yeah. what makes sports exciting. Uh, but you know, I, th- I think there actually is good news about that. Um, in fact, I've just been reading a book by a guy named Yochai Benkler, which is about um, how people are natural, naturally cooperative. Uh, 
I, the, the, the theme of the book is that economists greatly overrate the extent to which people need money to uh, provide an incentive for their action. Huh. People actually do things just to help other people and to get things right, right? Like if you think about Wikipedia, it's just an unbelievable resource. And it's really there just because people like to contribute to the community. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, we like—I guess—we like to participate in the community. We like to have a voice in the community. You and you start your book with a story um, about Pearl Harbor. Will you share that? Talk about that with us. Sure. Um, so, in the uh, early fifties, the U.S. was developing the. Uh, in, second and third versions of the atomic bomb, and they ran a test um, in the seas in the South Pacific, and they just vastly underestimated the power of the bomb that they were testing. And they ended up um, killing a fair number of people, uh, leaving a bunch of inhabitants of the islands in the area, um, uh, without, without anything. They essentially destroyed the area that they were living in um, because they misestimated, you know, a certain um, uh, reaction that was taking place in producing the explosion. Mm. Um, and, and this event sort of led us to the question, how can human beings um, be so pathetic in the sense that here we have the best physicists in America, perhaps the best physicists in the world, making this enormous error, error that had such huge consequences. Um, and yet, we live in a civilization that's able to accomplish so much. Yeah. Right? I mean, what we love about the atomic bomb metaphor is that it's one symbol that represents both the genius of humanity, the fact that we can create these bombs, as well as the utter stupidity of humanity, yeah. the fact that we use these bombs. Do, is there, is, I guess, too, in a knowledge community... Um, yeah, we can use the synergies of being able to create the most incredible things in the world. D- does certain information flow differently in our community of knowledge? Like, does logic flow more naturally than morals? Hmm. That's a very interesting question. Isn't that wild? Um, yeah. So, huh. And Because and, it uh, seems like morality might, I mean, if, if if it's not instilled in the group already, sometimes it's hard to... I mean, you just kind of go with what, with more of a logical force than a moral force. Right. Um, so I, I, that's a, a more complicated question than, um, than you may appreciate. Yeah. Because I think there are multiple contributors both to our reasoning and to our moral judgment. Many of our moral judgments seem to just be emotional reactions. Right? Like if we see someone do something terrible to someone else, then often our reaction is disgust in, in the same way that if we see, you know, something disgusting that our body has produced, we react in a very similar way. And so that sort of immediate reaction is clearly a personal individual reaction, and that underlies 
um, many of our moral reactions. But right. obviously we also talk about stuff. So logic itself is also a contributor to our moral reactions. Um, I, I think logic is actually a really perfect example of the role of the community in how we think. Because we don't naturally think in a logical way, right? There's certain kinds of logical things that are natural to us. So we tend to think in causal terms. We think about what the effect of our actions are. And some of that is very natural. But any kind of complicated, sophisticated logic of the type that you would learn in school, well, you have to learn it in school, mm. right? It doesn't yeah. come naturally. So it's something that our culture has developed very, very slowly. In fact, in a sense, only very recently has our, cult has our culture uncovered many of the rules of logic. And they have to be incorporated through this very careful process. And when logicians reason, and when we reason using logic, we often need uh, external tools, right? So we might use a piece of paper or a whiteboard or something, or we might use another person. So some people think that language actually offers some of the constraints that allow, allow us to be logical. Hmm. Even though we don't think logically, when we're communicating with other people, language forces certain kinds of logical constraints on us. That's powerful. Um, that's one of the things I learned going through graduate school is, uh, is I guess, is, is, is the, 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 how to accrue knowledge, how to test knowledge, how to question things. Um, it, it seems like it's something we probably ought to be teaching more of before grad school. Um, yes, uh, it never hurts to teach people things, um, but I, you know, I think that sometimes education is overrated as a way of dealing with these sorts of social problems. So the main thesis of our book is that reasoning takes place within a community, or a lot of reasoning takes place within a community and is not done by an individual. So, you know, like consider something like fake news, yeah. right, which is something that people are talking a lot about these days on both sides of the political divide. If you ask the question, how can we respond effectively to fake news? One response might be, well, we have to teach people critical reasoning skills. Yeah, yeah. Right? We have to give people the tools to allow them to distinguish what's true from what's false. I actually do not think that would be very effective. Because the, the process of thinking within a community is, a very, is basic to how humans think. We just don't process information rationally as individuals all the time. Mm. So the way to think about the problem, I think, is not in terms of how to teach individuals, but how to change our culture, right? How to create a culture which values truth, for instance, and which is in which there are individuals who are reminding us to be critical. There's a sense in which being critical isn't hard. What's hard is remembering to do it. Yeah. Well, and especially when our communities are echo chambers. 
and they're they're not necessarily a diverse community. So the the communities we hang out in, we read, we study from, we learn from, are too similar to how we see the world anyway. And that has been made worse by the fact that the big time internet providers now, or the internet players like Facebook and Google. Uh, individualize our information. Right. Right? They give us the stuff we want to see, and what is it we want to see? Well, it's stuff we agree with. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so we have the knowledge illusion, and we only have stuff we agree with that we're seeing. So It's, it, it, it's a dangerous cocktail. Yeah, it is. That's an interesting um, problem yeah. to have. Um, as we wrap it up, uh, love what we're, I'm learning here, and I think what we're all learning, Stephen. What what would you just recommend to the rest of us to to allay the the hubris to be able to be more open to our knowledge and our and and to gather more knowledge through our community? Well, I I think the most important thing we can do as individuals is to accept and revel in our ignorance. Right? There's uh, a sense in which it, it, it allows us to let go of much of the responsibility we walk around holding. We don't have to know everything. In fact, it's impossible for any one of us to know everything. So don't try. Mm. Right? Be aware of what you don't know. Learn from other people. And accept the fact that even people on the other side of the political divide, it's true that they don't know anything either. <laughs> just like you don't know anything. Right. But sometimes they have something to say, and we have to try to keep an open mind to them, too. Good stuff. Uh, Professor Stephen Sloman from Brown University, author of the book, uh, co-author of the book, The Knowledge Illusion. Thank you, Stephen, so much for being with us. Excellent insight. Um, boy, and to think about your knowledge is really a communal act. This, uh, this accumulation of knowledge comes from your community. Even your confidence that you know something is still a communal knowledge because you don't know. That's why you would call a specialist in to fix your TV or that's why you, you know, you have to go fly on Delta Airlines or United Airlines because you don't know how to build your own plane and and make it work and get somewhere. Interesting. We really do depend on each other in knowledge creation and in life. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Love this happy music. This is my, I feel like it's my walking music. This is just out on a walk. Just Jeff and I just walking. I'm happy that you uh, imagine me on your yeah. hypothetical walks. <laughs> well, someone's got to carry my luggage. <laughs> hey, Jeff, did you hear about New Zealand's prime minister? Yeah, you teased this earlier in the show. He likes pizza and he likes spaghetti. He likes pizza because he's an American. Wait, who's this? Who's this? New Zealand. Oh, Prime Minister. I was going to say because he's an American, but yeah. I think pizza is kind of universal. So we've we've argued before if you should have pineapple on the pizza or not, and the the conclusion was yes. No. The conclusion was yes, no. you should. The conclusion from some of our listeners, in fact, <laughs> was yes, you should have 
pineapple on the pizza. And um, now the New Zealand prime minister is saying you might want to also try some spaghetti. He likes mm. <laughs> Listen to this. He posted several photos of canned spaghetti, pineapple, and ham-filled pizza that he cooked for a family dinner. The internet did not handle it well. Prime Minister English posted this photo of his contentious creation on Facebook. I think you should resign or at least apologize with Italy for this abomination. One user commented on the photo. I'd be surprised if Italy doesn't declare war against us for this. To be fair, not everyone is against English's creation. Don't listen to those haters. One user commented saying spaghetti, bacon, pineapple, onion, cheese, pizza is a favorite in our household as well. Yes! Epa! Oh, that's Greek. Yeah. Well, that's Opa. Opa! <laughs> Epa is actually EPA, the in- yeah. Environmental that's, Protection yeah, Agency. So that's what they do in the government. EPA! <laughs> yeah. So you can try spaghetti, but canned spaghetti? I don't know that I'd ever Ooh. do canned spaghetti. Like a real good spaghetti, I could put on my pasta. Even as a kid, I knew that spaghettios were not a good thing. Yeah. Mom made that clear. What, do you want to die? Anyway, to each his own, right? New Zealand's prime minister. Let him have his spaghetti if he wants to. Get off his back. Uh, just here to help you folks. Just giving you a little recipe ideas. Put a little onion, a little pineapple, a little bacon. It's really not that weird because we have the garlic bread when we eat our pasta. Yeah. What's so, the big deal? Bread and spaghetti. And it's, yeah, if you've ever been to Olive Garden, you know what it's like. That's this hour, folks. Stick with us next hour. More fun, more excitement. Plus, Jeff will be talking movies. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to hour number three of the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. And by the way, bottom of the morning to some of you. It's uh, It's Friday. Middle of the night to some. Yeah. Yeah, depending where you're listening in. Or if it's a podcast. We have a lot of people um, listening in from all over the world. China is listening underneath us because... Yeah, uh, they're right below us. According to Shaq... The earth is flat. It is flat. (laughs) He was just joking. Was he, though? No, he was. No, but was he? Eh, But was he? Hey, um, today, because it's Friday, we like to... uh, We're going to do a little twisty twist... On the Matt Townsend Show. And I'm just going to give you a little tease. We will start talking on Fridays in the third hour more about movies and media. And who better to help us with that? Well, that's probably not the best tease in the world. Who better? Well, who better? Because I could probably think of a bunch of people better. Well, I was talking about Rod Gustafson. Oh, I see. No, he's pretty good. Now, who better Who better to help us than Jeffrey Liam Simpson? Mm. We're, Jeffrey's going to start, and it's not – we're just going to give you a little taste of it today. But next – in the next few weeks, Jeff will have a show that's called The Wonderful, Magical, Mystical, Mysterious Movie Show. That's actually not true. Okay. But it's a show within a show. So like if you're holding up a mirror in front of a mirror – Type of a deal. 
So it goes on forever. Well, it, it'll only last an hour. But it'll feel like it's forever. <laughs> Which is really good for you. So every Friday we'll be covering movies, media, Netflix, cinema, uh, you name it. Jeffrey will be covering it. It's going to be great. So stick with us for that in just a few minutes. Um, also, of course, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation will be around. And even on Fridays, they will be getting involved eventually talking about their media favorites. With we might talk about one today. Holy cow. This is an exciting day. It's an exciting test. Uh, plus, of course, we are celebrating Look to the Sky Day. Is that what we call it? Look up to the sky day. Unless you're in Afghanistan and we're dropping a $16 million bomb on you. Oh, is that what it cost? Yeah. Yeah, look, at, look up at the sky day. $16 million bucks to drop that Moab bomb, which the, is redundant because it's mother of all bombs. Right. You can't follow that with bombs. So that means China's looking up to us. Well, it depends. Can they see us? I think it depends how you look up. Look at it. Because China's getting really close to President Trump, too. Yeah, direction is relative, so. Absolutely. Um, we'll be talking about that fun, exciting stuff. Plus, in a minute, I've, I'm going to talk about a brand new present that I bought for Jeff. Hmm. Uh, I'm hoping he'll like it. 145 bucks I spend on it. Oh, wow. oh it's no. More, more of an experience. Yeah, it's because these millennials are known to want more experiences in life yes. than really cash. Absolutely. I could have... Hey, 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 don't make me get the spoon. We'll read Wikipedia to you once again. Yeah. So these millennials. Wikipedia it's always is truthful. so trustworthy. I, I got Jeff an experience, and we'll talk about it. It's a really cool thing. It actually involves a trip to China, so we'll have to buy a ticket. Well, he will. Yeah. I've you're, already you're bought, buying the experience. I bought the experience. Right, yeah. He buys the ticket, but you're, you're not going to want to miss it because you might want to get it for your children. So you're handing me a bill, really. I'm As handing, George Costanza would say, you're handing me a bill. No, I'm handing you an opportunity to be seriously moved mm. and to move some serious stuff. You probably don't want to mention the word movement when you talk about this story. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll fill you in on that one, folks. It's a, it, it, it involves a Chinese zoo. That's all we'll say about that. Uh, but before we get to that fun, before we get to BYU Sports Nation, before we give you the hero of the day, before Jeff talks about the movies, all this stuff straight ahead, let's first get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we need to be paying attention to? North Korea's vice foreign minister said Friday that President Donald Trump's comments and incendiary tweets have added fuel to a vicious cycle of foreign tensions that North Korea is prepared to launch its own preemptive strike. The vice foreign minister... Uh, said North Korea feels that Trump's, the Trump administration is more vicious and more aggressive than Obama's. North Korea will continue to stockpile its nuclear arsenal, both quality and quantity of weapons, if Trump wants to go to war. Huh. Trump is always making provocations with his aggressive words. It is not uh, the DPRK, but the U.S. and Trump that makes trouble. Meanwhile, the Chinese foreign minister warns the U.S. and North Korea to stop the escalation before it reaches a point of no return. North Korea says it will test a weapon or fire off a missile whenever they see fit. Yeah. They'll do whatever they want to do when they want to do it. I wish I could see fit. I wish I could look in the mirror and uh, see fit in myself. Yeah. In other news. I, I, I do too. President Trump likes to remind us his victory in November was not widely predicted by professional pundits or statisticians. One exception to that rule was Alan Lichtman, 
a history professor at American University in Washington, D.C., whose formula for calculating the country's partisan mood has accurately called the last eight presidential elections. Leachman now has a forthcoming book explaining his new prediction. You ready for his new prediction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. President Trump will be impeached and either resign or be removed from office, even with a GOP majority in Congress. Wow. If Trump wants to avoid the acts, he gives some, uh, a list of political and personal steps for the president to take to avoid the impeachment, including divesting his business interests, embracing fact checks, and hiring a shrink. Wow. Boy. Real page turner there, That's I bet. some serious prediction. <laughs> Predicting. Another new senator, Chris Van Holden of Maryland, is introducing a bill that would prohibit airlines from forcibly removing passengers after they have already boarded the plane due to oversells or airline staff seeking to fly as passengers. Okay. The bill, called the Customers Not Cargo Act, comes in the wake of a viral video that we've all seen this week of the passenger being pulled off the United Airlines plane. As it stands now, a 2008 federal rule limits the amount of money airlines can pay ticketed passengers to $1,350 if they are involuntarily removed from the flight. As a result, airlines are basically incentivized to forcibly remove passengers rather than to offer more money because there's a limit, right? The airline should be required to offer the passengers an incentive that gets someone to volunteer to deplane rather than drag them off. And right now the incentives are in the wrong direction, the senator says. Yeah. There will be a price point at which someone will voluntarily get off the plane. That's what airlines should be required to do. So just keep raising the price until someone gets off the plane. Absolutely. Don't go down there and just grab somebody. How about $14,500? Anybody takers for (laughs) $14,500? It's an auction. Go. (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, it would make. I think it'd make the trip a lot more fun. Yeah. How much does it take to get you off the plane? Because you don't want to underbid. You don't want to overbid. That's right. Ah, maybe you could just do a silent auction. Everybody <laughs> write down a number. They should have a trivia contest, and I, if you lose, then yeah. you're off the plane. They could turn this into a game, a game show, and then when they lose, everyone just claps them off. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Bum, bum, ba, boom. <laughs> we'll see you in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, uh, Disney's live-action retelling of its animated classic Beauty and the Beast has crossed the $1 billion mark. Really? And has done so in less than four weeks. This Disney's yeah. four, their 14th release to reach the milestone, but most likely won't be the last. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is sure to do some good business. And the next Star Wars movie comes out in uh, probably December. So Excellent. that one's going to make a lot of money. Speaking of Star Wars news, yes, this is my breaking news for the day. Between 11 a.m. and 12.30 Eastern, which is now. Which is right now. There is a Star Wars celebration going on. It is a uh, you know convention where you get to show up and dork out on Star yeah. Wars. There's a strong possibility. Okay. Maybe certainty they will show a trailer for the new... Last Jedi Star Wars movie that's coming out in December. Really? So if you feel a general unproductiveness in the nation, it's yeah. because there is a trailer that people are watching. If you feel that maybe the internet is slower than it was before, it's because so many people are watching the same movie. Okay. So just just keep that in mind as you go throughout your day. Everybody's so, downloading the movie. Possibly a, a trimmer in the force. Of, nor- of sorts. But it's it, not everybody would be downloading it. Oh, everyone. Just Well, you don't download, you're just watching. Just kind of the those that lean well, toward you, geekdom. They, they might be watching it multiple times, maybe on multiple screens at the same time. 
Matt, Just you're going to be watching it multiple times on your way in the car uh, no. to St. George. No, I'm not. I'm not. You're just going to pop it on auto drive and you're going to start watching it. Yeah, no. I think everybody just needs to give it a rest for a while. Why? And instead, read a book. Nah. Read a book. There's money to be made. Yeah. Okay. That's the breaking news. That's it. There's going to be a new new, uh, Star Wars trailer today. So good luck with that. Don't sound disappointed. Well, I never get excited for a trailer. Why not? Well, because then you still have to wait a year for the movie or yeah, six, six months. months. Yeah, no. Or seven or eight or whatever. Yeah, I'm not, not going to be have played another, like that. Don't be play another, me like that. another trailer in a couple months, maybe September, October, just to sort of... Yeah. Okay. That's it? That's Get all it. you got? You're dismissing... What a party pooper. You're dismissing this huge news. Yeah. I even save that for the... I just, the, the, this hour of the show because it's so movie-centric. I just barely watched Rogue One. And? It was a movie. You rogue. One. Didn't you see how it connected to the original Star Wars? I struggled at times. I mean, I did a little bit, yeah. But I didn't, because I, I don't know everyone's name, and I don't... You don't uh, need to. Good guy, bad guy. No. That's all you need. Just keep track of who's good, who's bad. Go. So, and that's the interesting part, is some of them... It's hard straddling to that How do you line. know? Yeah. How do you know? Yeah. You know, uh, here's a segment or a segue for you. Okay. You're a party pooper. That's a segue to your show? To your... S- the mu- the music ended. Yeah, it just sort of stopped. By Ron Williams. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Well, it, it, I mean, it'll be good. It'll be a good trailer for all those that are into trailers. We can talk about it Monday. Hmm. In depth. Exciting. Okay, so you ready to know what your present is, Jeffrey? Does it have anything to do with my segue? What was your segue again? You're a party pooper. Let's take it up from there. Yes, has a little bit to do with that. But you'll be the party pooper, scooper, if you take my present. According to um, – Terry's the one that suggested I do this. So for $145, I purchased the opportunity for you, Jeffrey, to go to a Chinese zoo that's trying to promote education. Interesting music choice. Go ahead. Yeah. By charging guests $145 for the privilege of cleaning up after a polar bear. Hmm. And they give you, I guess, a little polar bear pooper scooper. At the Wuhan Haichang Ocean Park, you, Jeffrey, and one friend <laughs> to hold the bag. Yeah. One friend um, will be able to go spend three hours experiencing the life of a polar bear keeper. Sounds like a sophisticated experience. It's uh, one you'll you'll definitely need some great poupon for. In other news, apparently last week the zoo announced some budget cuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. The guests uh, who must undergo health checks, so yep. you will have to have a physical before. You have to know if you can run away fast enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you'll attend a short training session prior to their shifts, and you are then given the opportunity to prepare food and feed the bears, which is super fun. Mm. And then your main duties will actually involve cleaning up the bears' duties hmm. off of the bear cage floor. Yes. Now, or an exhibit. Want... Let's not call it a cage. That makes right. it sound cheap. More I'd... accurate. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. 
Okay. But I'm probably going to be re-gifting this gift. Really? This I just one, want to be upfront and honest with you. This one had your name written all over it. I didn't want you to hear about it later on from a friend that I re-gifted it to him. Do you know who you're going to re-gift it to so I can know? Make sure it's somebody that uh, maybe has some sky miles so they can get to China. I have I have uh, a couple of ideas. Do you remember the advice I gave? This is such important advice when you've got to clean up after a polar bear. Uh, but a lot of people don't take me seriously when I say this. Lift with your legs. Right. Not your back. When you shovel, just shovel and then lift with your legs. Keep your back straight. Proper lifting form is so important. Yeah. And make sure you wear that tendonitis brace on your elbow so you don't. Do I need to get some shots when I come back into the States or before I come back into the States? I think States? you'll actually need – I think you'll need more than shots. You'll probably need a full uh, – uh, you'll probably need a – what's that IV they give you um, with antibiotics? Oh, wow. It's like a mega antibiotic Yeah, that's dose. serious stuff. I hope that along with this gift, you're, you'll also be gifting me you know, a trip to a spa or nope. something like a cleansing no. spa. Nope. Mm-mm. That's it. Hmm. Well, there's a car wash if you need to be sprayed off or something. There's hoses there. You'll be fine. Yeah, you're good. You'll be fine. Make sure the gates are closed, too. Oh, yes. There was that one time, remember, when you had that foaming incident. <laughs> anyway, it's all for you. It's all for you. You excited? Well, I just told you I'm going to be re-gifting it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're so cute, Jeffrey. Um, so straight ahead, Jeff, do you want to just let us know what you're going to be talking about? Because um, uh, I'm going to turn the show over to you. In, in the future, Jeff will be basically having the entire hour to talk about movies. Let it be known. I think this stems from uh, Matt's desire to duck out early. No, no, no. You're you're doing this forever. So, Starting so soon. Just want to be clear, you you will be in the room and and listening when this hour is happening. There is right? no doubt that I will be listening. Absolutely. I think there's some doubt. No, I'll be listening. Okay. I might not be in the room. I might have to use a restroom person. I might might have to run down, get breakfast. But So you just admitted you will not be in the room. Okay, the, it's fine. But more it's about you getting the chance to talk movies and uh, because I think that's a great segue into the weekend. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really going to be an opportunity to help people. I'm interested in helping people. Oh, when did that start? Uh, You see, um, there are, there are just so few choices these days of good quality entertainment that we can watch as a family, that we can experience as a family. So kind of shining a spotlight on those types of things. Um, and we'll even have a segment called panning for good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, we'll also be doing uh, having having exclusive movie trailers that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Really? Yes. These are trailers that uh, that you can't get out on the interweb. Right. They're exclusive to this show. That's good. Okay. Um, we'll also be having some more serious topics about or uh, conversations about topics maybe like psychology behind why we like watching scary movies. Excellent. Uh, we will also be having some fun and games, sharing some news, okay, and uh, maybe even a little storytelling, because you know we all can remember 
where we were or what we were doing when certain movies came out or certain yeah. TV shows came sure. out. You know, like a lot of people might remember watching the last episode of MASH. Yes. You know, pretty much everybody in the world was watching. Right, right, right. Except me because... You were probably too young. Yeah. So a lot and, of storytelling. See, the reason I'm doing this too, let's be very clear. I'm hoping that you and Terry could then channel your energy for kind of what I would say are the lesser arts of maybe movie making, media, Netflix. And you guys could have those talks one segment instead of 14 segments that we do. Because hmm. I do 14 hours – 15 hours, and I'm thinking if we could just like save all of your movie talk, television talk, Netflix talk to that one hour, then it would be a perfect launch of your show. See, you make it sound like you don't consume television or movies. No, I do. And yet you you watch so much more than I do. You think I do. I know you do. You think I do. (laughs) You just – but again, you recall all of it. I will watch it and never – because I'm doing five other things while I'm doing it. So I I don't remember anything that I've just watched. Well, so the whole reason we're doing this is because, you know, in addition to helping you identify more quality forms of entertainment, we want to add an element which I feel has really been missing from the show of fun. (laughs) So, yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, you'll have your fun. It'll be great. And it begins in just about two minutes. So we'll take a break. When we come back, Jeffrey Liam Simpson will be talking movies with Rod Gustafson. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson, and uh, it's Friday, so that means movies. And, of course, we've got Rod Gustafson here on the line with us. Going to be talking to us about the weekend's biggest release. I don't think there's really any any other movie that's going to be able to compete with this one. But that, of course, is The Fate of the Furious. And uh, we'll also be talking about another one that's not as well-known, but uh, is getting pretty good reviews. Rod, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. Good to be here. So uh, before we get to the biggest movie release of the weekend, let's talk about that other more obscure one that uh, people might also like. Yes, uh, The Case for Christ is uh, is making its way through theaters. Now, this released last weekend, and we did not get, usually they set up screenings for press and media, and uh, I just, and often faith-based films, don't open in our market. So this one flew under my radar, and I really need to get out and see it. But uh, the good news is, uh, for a faith-based film, this movie is doing very well. Currently, uh, uh, as we're talking, it's above 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, which gives it a big red fresh tomato, which is very unusual. I I know I read the review. I think it was in Variety Magazine, a big industry trade publication a few days ago. 
And they were quite positive about it, too. And uh, this is the story of Lee Strobel, who, and this is a, a true story. He uh, is a journalist, and years ago, he married a Christian woman. And uh, the marriage, basically, he set out to use his skills to disprove her faith. But the more that he used his journalism skills to uh, to try and refute uh, Christ as being a real person who existed, uh, he became converted to Christianity. So, wow. uh, it, interesting film, yeah, yeah. And uh, and like I say, to have to have hard nosed uh, cynical critics, uh, over sixty percent of them liking it. That's very unusual. You know, and it seems like it, it especially would be good for couples that are in interfaith relationships to go see this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Uh, it sounds like it's got some good uh, critical thought to it. Um, the, it. And from what I've been reading about it, there's a greater focus on uh, the journalistic side of this, which uh, I think is very valid. And uh, so I, I think... Again, having not seen the movie, Jeff, I don't know that this is your warm, fuzzy, uh, faith-based movies. I think this one's going to be a little bit more, you know, critical thought and that type of thing. But I think that's great. Uh, And the other good thing about this, it's rated PG, not PG-13, but a PG. uh, Not too much uh, in here. They do say that there are some scenes that may frighten children, a little bit of tobacco use and alcohol use in it as well. Um, and some mild profanity. So, you know, compared to uh, certainly being a PG rating, it means it's going to have a lot less uh, content concerns than what a PG-13 or obviously an R-rated movie would have. Yeah, you know, it, it makes me think of, and we'll talk about the Fast and the Furious franchise here in a second, but obviously they keep putting those films out because they make a ton of money. These faith-based films seem to be they they get made over and over and over again and i think it's it's a good indicator that people want to see these films too especially when you look at the reviews of the critics for these films versus the reviews of the audience for these films and it just seems like people really flock to these movies in droves and they give them the the audience members anyway give them great reviews so th- i think mm-hmm. there's something there Exactly. Well, and you also, you look at, um, now this particular movie, I can't, I, I haven't really been able to find an accurate production budget on it, but it's currently, it's pushing $5 million, um, which, you know, by Hollywood standards, that's small change, but many of these movies get made for a couple of million dollars. And when I say these movies, I'm talking faith-based movies. And in Hollywood, profits are all about the multiple. It's just like if you make an investment you're not so much concerned about how much money you make as to what the multiple is based on how much you invested. If somebody returns you $1,000 on a $100 investment, you're a lot happier than if you get $1,000 on a $10,000 sure. investment. So, And that's how these movies work. Faith-based movies often get made for $5 million or less. And if they can return twenty, thirty million dollars, that's a four, six times multiple. Sometimes they're up to fifty million. And so, you know, Hollywood is starting to recognize we can make a dozen of these things. We can make twenty of them in a year. 
and get a, a five, six times multiple. And you don't and even have to spend any money on the marketing either, really. No, very, very little, very little. Whereas, you know, a $150, $150 million film that returns $500 million, there's a huge risk in that and maybe a two and a half times multiple. Uh, and so that's how come I think that they're starting to wake up to this opportunity. Right. All right. Now let's talk about the other little film that's coming out this weekend <laughs> that uh, is probably going to make just a little bit more money than The Case for Christ. Absolutely. Right now, the forecast is worldwide that this may have a $400 million opening oh, weekend. Oh, my goodness. Yes, which is a, which is really amazing. Now, the movie is called The Fate of the Furious. This is basically uh, The Fast and Furious number eight, if I've got my numbering correct. And, uh, of course, the big thing that's happened to this franchise is no more Paul Walker, who died an untimely death. Right. And, uh, Ironically, in uh, in a street accident with a he was not driving, but a driver that was driving too fast in California. Anyhow, so now this people have been wondering: Will the franchise survive? Well, it looks like it is going to, and very well. Um, and the names that they've gathered in this franchise now: not only do we have Vin Diesel playing Dominic, who is the the main protagonist in this series, but they brought in Dwayne Johnson, who originally was a government agent, but now he's joined their group. Stay, Jason. Stratham, who is from the, the Transporter franchise, another guy that's related to people see him as being a tough guy who can drive fast cars. Kurt Russell in this movie is a government agent. Uh, and Charlize Theron, who is probably the biggest disappointment. She plays the bad guy, so to speak. And she has got to be the most annoying uh, I want to take over the world person I've seen in a movie in quite some time. Really? Yes. yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. It's, uh, I found what she does. So we have the Fast and Furious gang in their race cars. And basically the setup is this. Charlize is this mysterious woman called Cypher. And she manages to rope uh, Dominic, the Vin Diesel character, into helping her steal this this uh, this this weapon of mass destruction, and so of course he appears to have gone rogue from the perspective of the rest of his team. They're wondering why is he working for her, and I don't want to give away why. That's the one mystery in the film. So they're chasing him, and all the while, while all of this is happening, she's flying around in this massive jet that never needs refueling, and she has this sophisticated computer system where she can see any camera in the world, and she is tracking them. And so we're constantly cutting from the car chase to little four-second clips of her saying, all right, don't let me down, you know, and stuff like this. And, <laughs> oh, it's just annoying. So anyway, but um, if you come into this expecting just fluffy popcorn stuff, you probably won't be disappointed, I think. People who enjoy this franchise will really like will really like this one. Uh, I did not like it that much. Uh, there's a few prior previews concerns. Probably the best thing I can say about the movie, though, is they have cut back on the female eye candy. Once we are through the first 10 minutes, the opening scene where we have a lot of scantily dressed females, then after that, fortunately, we move much more into the action sequences. Whereas previous Fast and Furious movies... You know, it, you after a while, it's like, okay, enough of the objectification of women. We get it, you know, but this one, at least they've dialed that down a little. So even with the appearance of Dame Helen Mirren, we, mm, this, this mm. film doesn't get much of a recommendation from you, huh? 
Well, C grade on this one. And, you know, it, it really, there's not a lot in here that are positive messages for, for, for kids and for families. This movie says it's all about family. This is the, the one keyword that they, that they constantly say because the Fast and Furious gang always refer to themselves as family. But, you know, this is really all about reasons to have violence and lots of violence. And uh, and so there's really not much in the way of character development in these films or anything else. So, you know, as I say, the action fans, I don't think they'll be disappointed and especially people that like the franchise. But for family viewing, there are better choices. Well, two very different movies that have <laughs> two different approaches to getting our, our hard-earned dollars. The other thing I should mention when you talk about hard-earned dollars, I suppose for dollar per minute, uh, The Faith of the Furious does pay off fairly well. 141 minutes. And from an artistic perspective, this movie would have done far better had they cut at least a half an hour out. So it's a long film for an action film. Well, there you have it. Rod Gustafson, thank you once again. We appreciate your time here on The Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be continuing the movie talk here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson here covering for Dr. Matt as he makes his way down to St. George. And we're continuing our discussion of movies. And uh, today's an important topic because uh, if you look at history, if you know your history, I should say, uh, today in 1865, uh, today was the day that President Lincoln was shot by John Wilkes Booth at uh, the Ford at Ford's Theater in Washington, and uh, also as you know, Monday is Emancipation Day, and of course, uh, President Lincoln was instrumental in in uh, getting the Emancipation Proclamation out. So, it just begs the question: How? What are some ways that we can celebrate the life of President Lincoln? A lot of people tend to choose the use of, you know. Uh, reading up about Lincoln or, you know, visiting some of the historical sites here in, here in the United States. Um, but then other people do what they can uh, to, to just do it on a local level and from the comfort of their own home. Maybe they don't have a lot of time or maybe they just uh, think there's a lot of good media out there that uh, covers Lincoln. And I wanted to share with you a few examples of that this morning. Um, you know... The, the subject of Abraham Lincoln has just been covered so much when it comes to movies and TV. I mean, you have everything from Steven Spielberg's depiction of Lincoln back in 2012 to a depiction of Abraham Lincoln fighting vampires. So really, there are just so many examples out there. Obviously, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not suggesting you go see the vampire one. In fact, I would tell you to steer clear of that. But uh, let's start with the one uh, from 2012 by Steven Spielberg called, oddly enough, Lincoln. It was nominated for 12 Academy Awards, winning two of them, uh, including uh, actor Daniel Day-Lewis, who portrayed Abraham Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis is, is infamous for just disappearing into these roles. He's very much a method actor. And a lot of people joked that, you know, he played Lincoln better than Lincoln did. 
Um, and another reason that's important for Daniel Day-Lewis anyway is he's the only actor that has won the Best Actor Oscar three times. That's impressive. That's very impressive. Anyway, so the the thing I like about this movie is that you get a picture not only of Abraham Lincoln but of his wife, uh, Mary, who had some issues, to say the least. You know, I, I believe she was bipolar and she was – she was struggling with, you know, her son going off to war. So it's you get to see her um, in a different light than you you might normally see her. Um, just a very important film, very uplifting and, and gives you just a lot of pride in our country and grateful for some of the great presidents that we've had. Another portrayal of Lincoln, he's actually uh, – Lincoln's part in this movie is not uh, that big as far as an actual actor being seen as Lincoln on screen. But there's a film uh, made in 2010 called The Conspirator, directed by Robert Redford. And this kind of takes the uh, assassination of President Lincoln and you get to see it from a different perspective. So there is a woman, Mary Surratt who uh, may or may not had something to do with President Lincoln's assassination, meaning she may have had a part in the planning of it. So she, along with seven others, are are taken to trial, and she's uh, assigned a defense attorney who very reluctantly takes on this assignment, and it's it's kind of a lose-lose situation for him. Anyway, it's called The Conspirator, and both of these films, are, I believe, are pretty tame in the way of violence and language and sexual content. So they're, they're pretty much safe bets. You may want to look up some more of the content before you decide to show it to your children. They're both rated PG-13, but uh, both interesting portrayals of President Lincoln and uh, obviously just a very fascinating topic and a very important and fascinating man. So if if you choose to celebrate the life of President Lincoln and Emancipation Day that way, then you could do worse. Anyway, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. I assume it's going to be Spencer and Jerem. And uh, we'll do that when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. That is our happy strolling down the road music that we like to play whenever we talk to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem, welcome to the show. Howdy doody. <laughs> you know, I'm a little surprised. I thought uh, I would be having to listen to the two of you scarfing down pancakes while I spoke with you. We already finished. Oh. You, there, there's plenty left, too. As soon as you're done, you just... But Come you, on ten, down, boy. ten minutes. Admit it. Breakfast, boy. Admit it. You finished off the bacon, though, right? There's no bacon. No bacon. Only oh. sausage. That's the only. That's the only thing that's missing. Mm. That's the only thing that's missing. I'll send Beatrice out to get some more bacon. <laughs> Don't get that bacon, boy. Boy, not a boy. <laughs> very nice, very nice, fellas. Hey, um, so this uh, this last hour, Terry shared a story with us, with, which I thought you might find interesting. Yeah, there was a man that was stabbed oh, in the head with a screwdriver. 
And we, Thank you for that. We didn't know whether it was a flathead or a Phillips head, but he's probably got a flathead now. Um, oh, come hey, on. Hey. Come on. Anyway, Jeffrey. so instead of going to the hospital and getting that problem fixed, he decided to go uh, see a hockey game instead because apparently it was a very important game. Oh, okay. And, was it a uh, playoff game? Yes, it was. Playoffs? And his team won, and then Wait. he took himself to the hospital. Well, he's so he's a, probably a fan of, I don't know. Who won? The LA Kings last night? Gosh, you know, I don't remember. Uh, like it's a, got, it's Terry, be sounds like a thing that could have happened. It's got to be a Canadian, think, Jeremy. Terry, really? do you remember? Wow, I'm not going do there. Do you remember that team, the team that won? That one team. That one team that sports Terry, really hard and Terry doesn't uh, sports remember. harder than the other team, so they won. <laughs> so I'm just curious, because this, this made me think of, an, of, a, of a time when I was younger, when I was rushing home from scouts on my skateboard, like the one time that I actually rode a skateboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and went to scouts. I, yes. No, I, I was rushing home because I really wanted to watch Home Improvement. And, you know, show. back Ooh. then, yeah, Ooh. back Ooh. then... You had That's to watch it, or you know, you didn't have a DVR, <laughs> so that was the option. You had to go home and see it when it was happening. So on my way home, I got hit by a car. What in the world? And uh. they wanted to put me in the ambulance, and I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I just want to get home, and I really wanted to go see Home Improvement. <laughs> because you were Marty McFly. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I'm wondering, is, is there any type of a show that you would skip a hospital trip for? Any show, sporting event, anything that uh, would make you not want to go to the hospital right away? Probably BYU-LSU on September 2nd. Well, Ooh. the first quarter, yeah. In Houston. I was in the hospital, um, and the Jazz were playing the Rockets in the first round. This is like eight years ago or something. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm cool with being moved right now. Like to a room to stay overnight, but I need a TV to be able to watch a jazz game. Just like, that. <laughs> like, you're worried about that right now? I'm like, yeah, yes. yeah, it's game four. Like, this is an important game. So, you guys think very locally then? Well, I mean, I live locally. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Team USA in the World Cup if they were playing yeah, like it, in the round of eight or something. Yeah. Okay. So, another quick question you have to choose in the next 30 seconds. Name the best Mighty Ducks movie. The the original. I like the second one. Ooh, I'm going to have to go with Jerem. You Number like the, two. Because of Team USA? The Team USA element? No. Takes it you up. know what it was? I think it was the Knuckle Puck. Ah, uh, so the Knuckle Puck. I um, saw that film. What's I, his name? He's on Saturday Night Keenan Live Keenan Thompson, yeah. yeah. Keenan. I went Thompson. to Big Five. I bought a hockey stick and a puck, and I tried to do the Knuckle Puck. And I was very disappointed it when it didn't work. work. <laughs> <laughs> I liked D two. I just I don't know. I thought the original was was fun. With thank the cake you, eater and thank you for getting the title right too. D two, the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. So what? Movie. We, what's coming up on your show, you guys? We're gonna talk. Nothing hockey. as good as D two, the Mighty Ducks <laughs> playoffs. You're, yeah, we used to do hockey on BYU TV. I, I did those games. It was so fun. Uh, we're we're gonna talk about Terry Nashif, BYU assistant coach, uh, assistant head coach, actually. Saying yesterday he's going to pursue business opportunities. He's out. He's the dominoes are starting to fall for BYU basketball in their offseason of change. Hmm. What does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? And what did Terry Nashif mean to the program? Plus, it's a volleyball day. Uh, Brendan Sander, All-American from third-ranked BYU men's volleyball, who plays in the conference quarterfinals tomorrow. He will join us. Uh, plus, Alohi Robbins-Hardy, who just made a Team USA college team that will tour in Europe this fall. She's not even the starting center at BYU. And she mm-hmm. made that team. Nice to have depth on the roster. Mm-hmm. 
Also, I guarantee something that you, Jeff, have never seen in a baseball game. It happened last night. We're going to talk about it in Big Deal, No Deal. Huh? Something that you have never seen. <laughs> JTT. Oh, so, is this so is this more impressive than exactly. than Scott Hubity getting hit by the ball three times in the same inning? Um, it's Stephen Priscotti. Yes, it's pretty oh, weird. Stephen, I thought it was Scott. It was Piscotti. Well, Austin Piscotti. No, it's well, Stephen. Stephen Scott Sterling. Oh, Audio right, because they they yeah yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah yeah. Okay, can't wait. That's in five minutes exactly. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. See. You brought this up before, but uh, at least when Matt's not here, you get correct math. That's hey, that helps. We're in sports; we got to get it right. All right, fellas, I gotta hurry up and wrap up this show so go I can pancakes. go get some sausage and pancakes. Help me just to get some bacon on real. <laughs> Star Wars: The Last Jedi poster just came out. <gasps> the trailer might come Snap. out today. Oh, 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 it has Luke, and it has Kylo Ren, and it has, and it has what's her name, Daisy Ridley's character. <laughs> oh, Ray. Ray. Yes. It has Ray. <laughs> All right. I'm going to let you guys geek out over Bye, there. Jeffrey. We'll oh. talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Wow. They are excited about that Star Wars trailer that they might not even get to see today. Interesting. Terry's excited, too. He brought it up earlier on the show. <sighs> you know, uh, I do agree that uh, D2 is the best Mighty Ducks movie ever made. D3, the Mighty Ducks was very disappointing because it had Emilio Estevez front and center on the poster. His name was plastered on all the posters, and uh, I think he was maybe in about 10 minutes of it. So disappointing. Also disappointing that, uh, you know, as a child I learned that things that you see in the movies aren't always possible, aren't always true. The knuckle puck, for instance, where you tip the puck on its side and then do a slap shot with it, and the puck is then supposed to twirl around, and it was always, the camera was always zoomed in on it, by the way, and uh, yeah, not a thing, not possible, or at least I wasn't able to figure it out. Oh, so disappointing, but great movie. I can't really think of any other hockey movies that, uh, that I could give a recommendation to, and in fact, I probably would never go back and watch those movies again, but... They helped form a very important part of my childhood. I learned that uh, I also will show interest in something and then very quickly lose interest in that thing. I think that was the one and only time I played with a hockey puck. Anyway, some childhood memories here on the Matt Townsend Show. Well, as you know, we like to end all of our shows with the hero story of the day and... That's not the right music for the hero story. It's right here. And today's another good one, of course. A teacher and custodian emerge as heroes from San Bernardino school shooting. Parents got the chance to thank the many people they called heroes in the Monday morning shooting at at an elementary school in San Bernardino. Parents meet teachers all the time, but the teachers of North Park Elementary were singled out for special praise this evening. So were first responders. Even a custodian was lauded as a hero. What these adults did was incredible, many of them protectively hovering over the children like mother hens. It was the teachers who stayed calm and made sure our kids were taken care of, one man told CBS Los Angeles, and I really appreciate that as a parent. 
Praise was heaped on teacher Joyella Bueller, who helped save Nolan Brandy's life. He's the nine-year-old whose parents released a photo of him Wednesday recuperating in the hospital. Darlene got on 911, and I just applied pressure and talked to him. And he was my hero, and I'm just glad that he is going to be okay, said Bueller, choking back tears. The school, uh, the school custodian was also praised for saving a child after hearing the, the shots on campus. That woman saved my child's life. She saved his life, said a grateful parent. For her part, the custodian said she wasn't a hero, just doing her job. I was just telling him to go inside, and he was like, why, why? And I was like, don't ask anything. And I just pushed him in and went inside and told the librarian, just keep him inside. Just go to the back door. Her name was Edna Gamaro. Wow. Several heroes at that school. And a scary situation, really, too. Uh, just a wonderful example of people stepping up, doing the right thing, protecting children. Just a very touching story. And we're grateful to have the opportunity each and every day to share stories like this and many others that are so inspiring and uplifting. So look for those opportunities to be a hero yourself. That's going to be it for the show today. Have a great weekend. When we come back, we'll continue the fun, continue the discussion here on The Matt Townsend Show.